have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. shortages, supply chain breakdowns continue to have a domino effect on everything, especially food production. Farmers can't plant as many crops now because of fertilizer shortages, forced regulations, and of course, high fuel prices. This will cause more painful food shortages when we run out of the food we're eating now. You know, food takes time to grow. So when farmers don't plant, well, months later, we don't eat. That's why you need to prepare for an increasing number of food shortages. And the best way is to invest in Ready Hour emergency food from My Patriot Supply. It's a perfect hedge against skyrocketing prices and shortages. Right now, save $50 on a four-week food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and get your $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's preparewithsouthernsense.com. Those who know what's coming are getting prepared now. Well, if you don't want to type in that whole big thing saying preparewithsouthernsense.com and you're on my website, which is Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense, as in commonsense.com, you can easily click on My Patriot Supply and go directly to the website and get your $50 savings. As I'm telling you now, those who know what's coming are getting prepared right now. Shouldn't you? Prepare with southern-sense.com. That's 
southern-sense.com. Click on My Patriot Supply. Do it now. All right, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Speaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it, half a dozen other places I don't even know where, including iHeartRadio. Anyway, welcome once again, and I am your hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, and my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, is having a little technical difficulty, so hopefully he'll get that ironed out and be back on the air with us. Um, I had all the problems last week, and anything that could go wrong went wrong. So hopefully, fingers crossed, nothing else goes wrong today. But welcome again. We have an exciting show. I want to thank everyone for sticking by and coming back to us after our brief hiatus. And hopefully by next week, we get all the technical difficulties worked out and have the new format up and running next week. Fingers crossed, nothing promised, but we're real, real close. I want to welcome everyone that is here in the chat room on Blog Talk Radio, those that are joining us over on Facebook and YouTube. We're up over there. You can chat with us in either one of these rooms. And I want to welcome now back to the show, I hope he's got audio now, my co-host, the one, the only, the debonair and oh-so-intellectual Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, are you with us? Yes. Can you hear me? Yay, Houston, we have liftoff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yep, this will be my first full show in like, what, two months? Um, I made it partially uh, yeah. last week because I had an appointment, but I've been given a, a, a bill of clean health, so I'm no longer in the um, sick, lame, and lazy um, category. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Curtis, we got ourselves a great, great lineup over here. Uh, we're going to be starting off with um, Rick Meta, who is a former FDA official. Uh, he's currently at Georgetown University Health Law Professor. And oh, boy, do we have a lot to talk to him about that, especially with this new who, uh, who, not, WHO treaty, the World Health Organization treaty that's trying to cram uh-huh. down our throat. And he was also a former Republican nominee for U.S. Senate out of the state of New Jersey. Uh, we've got our friend Sam Faddis, former CIA operations officer. He served in the Near and South, Near East and South Asia. He also has up there AND Magazine, A-N-D, AND Magazine, up on uh, Substack. And he has now his own podcast called Ground Truth. Uh, yeah, and then we have our friend, I call him Uncle Ted. <laughs> He's always a show favorite and a a special friend and favorite of yours and mine, former Congressman Ted Yoho. And don't tell AOC he's here, (laughs) because she might make another accusation Um, against him. (laughs) She she has her own issues right now, so I Uh, I think she's preoccupied. mm, Good. Good. Let's keep her that way. Keep her out of our hair. Oh, yeah. How she goes from bartender to congressperson, I don't know. I mean, Only I in America. Bar, that means I've qualified for Congress, too. <laughs> Only in America. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, my fiancé this morning asked me, why don't I run for political office? And I kind of like just rolled my eyes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I, said, I get that a lot, What's so scary too. about it? Well, he goes, what's so scary about it? And the scary part is I might get elected. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's not in my future. 
I want to give a special uh, shout out to someone that listens in to us. She can't join us in the chat rooms, but always she's there as a good supporter of the show. Our friend, Sweet Sue from New Mexico. Actually, no longer in New Mexico, but we say it anyway. <laughs> anyway, we have a lot going on, Curtis, a lot to talk about. Uh, I mentioned the WHO pandemic treaty that's going to be going on. Um, Biden's ignoring of the fentanyl issue and what he just recently did. It's absolutely horrendous. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, Iran rising to nuclear power, uh, the issue, the issues going on and the situation, the war in Ukraine and the influence of China and Russia on that. Uh, the naval exercises going off of the coast of South Africa uh, that we recently uh, so much more to talk about. TikTok uh, lawsuits under <clears throat> Title 42. I'm just reading some of the subjects I put aside to talk about today. And as I flip the page. Uh, again, board and security, election integrity. Oh, Disney. Like I said, we have so much. Oh, don't forget about Boycott Hershey, because Hershey now has the her or she bar uh, to support women and women's issues. And who is one of their major spokespersons? Mm, the face of the candy bar for Hershey's, which they changed here in the United States. It's called she, but in Canada, it's called her. It is a transgender, a biological man who is parading around as a woman. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm probably incorrect. I'll probably find, find myself with a lawsuit or something uh, because I'm not being politically correct. But I'm sorry. It's a biological man who is identifying as a woman. All right. That's as polite oh as I can be. Is that possible? And this, this individual <laughs> is now the face of this Hershey candy that is supposed to be supporting women's issues. What they have done is placed a man, a biological man at the head ruling over on top of, and that's not a sexual comment there, uh, the face of women's issues. We have fought for too long to be counted as an equal in society. I'm not talking about um, equity. I'm talking about just equal protection of the law. And suddenly now that has just been tossed all out the window. Thank you, Hershey. You're going to go the way of Disney. I matter yep. of fact, I have a bag of Hershey candy, and it's going to be going into the garbage. I'm sorry. Uh, my fiance may not be happy with that because he likes his candy bars, but I'm not buying anything Hershey anymore. I'm no starting that boy here and now. No, no Hershey, Hershey kisses. kisses. <laughs> Nothing. If it has Hershey on it, if it's Hershey made, I am not buying it. And I will uh, encourage anyone out there to follow Sweet Suit. Make your wallet send the message. Talk with your wallet. And that's the best way to do it. Hit them in the pocketbook. See, let them see a dip in their profits and let their, 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 their stockholders get pissed off at them, and rightly so. Oh, yeah. Don't and get, see, you're, you're, you're a, a company producing a product, a candy. You're not a political organization. So cut the crap out. Keep politics in that arena and keep your hands off my goods and services. This politics is one thing, yeah. and then my yeah, you, capitalistic interest is something else. Yeah, you would think they would, would, would want to avoid politics. 
but they, you know, just go to show they never give up the left, you know. They just keep pushing their agenda, even at the expense of, um, you know, their profit margin line or whatever. They just yeah. don't give up. They don't give up. Don't give up. And then, heaven forbid, you have a company that is happens to be faith-based, such as Chick-fil-A. And heaven forbid that they close on Sunday so that they can go to church and worship. Freedom of religion is one thing. Freedom of speech is another thing. But I don't want to buy a candy bar based upon politics. If you support women and want to see them treated equally, then do that in your hiring practices. Do that in your sales and marketing, saying, hey, listen, hey, mom, you want to give your kids a good, healthy candy or a, a dad, you want to help mom feel a little bit better, bring her a box of candy, you know, a little Hershey candy, but hey, honey, this is how I think, and you're so sweet, I just wanted to show you how sweet you are. You know, that's one thing. But take a transgender and then say that individual represents women's issues. That's a man. A man cannot bear a child. A man cannot think or feel the way a woman does. I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I just, that, that's just a bridge too far. Anyway, let's get back on track. Uh, those that, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> that squad just turns around and said, rules on a trip to Hershey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I wanted I wanted to say hello to everybody in the chat room. For some reason, right now, I'm, I'm unable to to engage. I'm not sure why, but it's another technicality, I guess. It won't let me type. Yeah, well, um, I had that problem last week. So go into um, if you have any ad blockers out there, turn them off. Uh, sometimes Windows downloads these things uh, that you don't know about, the and they add extensions on that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. And it'll, it'll, trying to keep you protected from not having certain things pop up or not being able to go into certain areas of the Internet. You know, it, uh, don't even get me started on that one. I had to turn off three extensions on my backup computer just prior to mm. going on air in order to get one window to open. Mm. I'll look into it, though. Welcome to the new age, the new age of big brother anyway that said rant already started first thing off <laughs> anyway <laughs> those that listen to this show know that we do start each and every show off with a dedication to a fallen hero and today's dedication is going down to to, to marine uh, corps corporal eloza i am just going to be messing up her name and i do apologize eloisa Zavella, Eloisa Zavella, she passed away March 10th of 2020 while serving uh, in U.S. Central Command operations. And this is coming from the Military Times by Gina Hawkins. And she writes, a 20-year-old California-based Marine was killed on March 10th, 2020, when the vehicle she was in rolled during a training exercise in the United Arab Emirates. Corporal Eloisa Zavella, a motor vehicle operator in Combat Logistics Battalion 13, 
was pronounced dead at the scene after the medium tactical vehicle replacement seven-ton vehicle tipped over. Two other Marines, both Lance Corporals, were hurt in the accident, according to the Marine Corps news release. The release did not specify who was driving and said only that it was a single vehicle accident. The Naval Safety Center, which collects data on serious mishaps, listed the accident as a rollover. The other Marines hurt in the accident are also motor vehicle operators with Zavella's unit. One of them suffered serious injuries and had to be extracted from the vehicle. Marines on the scene provided first aid before a local search and rescue team flew that Lance Corporal to Sheikh Shakabat Medical Center in Abu Dhabi. The second Lance Corporal's injuries were not life-threatening. Zavella and the Lance Corporals were in the UAE for Exercise Native Fury, which started that Sunday. Thousands of troops from the U.S. and the UAE were participating in the exercise, including members of the 1st Marine Expeditionary Force and the U.S. Army Native Fury, and is meant to prep forces to respond to crises in the region. Quote, this is a tragic accident, and we're praying for the loved ones of our lost and injured Marines, unquote. Brigadier General Roberta Shea, commanding general of the 1st Marine Logistics Group, the Marines' parent company, she said in a statement. Our priority is assisting in medical recovery efforts and to provide comfort and assistance to their families, friends, and comrades during this trying time. Zavella, who was from Sacramento, joined the Marine Corps in April of 2018. After boot camp, she completed motor transportation school at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and was assigned to her unit at Camp Pendleton in December of 2018. I can't believe you're gone, said friend Jay Peoples of Zavella on a Facebook post. You were almost made to perfection in your drive and desire in everything you did in life. There was nothing you couldn't do, and you'd prove that to anyone who doubted you. This world is a lot darker because your ridiculously large smile isn't there to shine upon it. This is at least the Marine Corps' second fatal tactical vehicle accident of the fiscal year of 2020, which started in October of 2019. That same month, Private First Class Christian Bautista was killed in a vehicle training mishap in Bridgeport, California. In 2019, at least 15 troops were killed in vehicle training accidents, prompting an investigation into what's causing the deaths by a top government watchdog agencies. Families of some of those victims, along with federal lawmakers, have demanded the military take action to prevent vehicle training mishaps. It is also to be noted that Marine Corps Corporal Eloisa Zavella was the daughter of immigrants from Mexico. And because of COVID at the time of her passing, she was only allowed her immediate family, which meant only eight people were in attendance at her funeral. Today's show is dedicated to Corporal Eloisa Zavella and is also especially dedicated 
to what her family has given to this nation when they came here. Is dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our promising future. Is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We dedicate to each and every one of them this song by Todd Allen Harrington, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
listening to Southern Strength live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media. Oh, geez. You know, I'm, I'm going to go through the whole big rant. So just simply go to the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, man. Curtis, I am waiting for our guest to call in, and I'm just trying to find the phone number for him to tell him to call. Oh, jeez. You know, I hate when I mess myself up. <laughs> I really do that a lot, don't I? Curtis, unmute yourself. Did I lose Curtis again? Oh, please don't tell me I lost Curtis again. That I'm winging this again by myself. Hey, anyone out there, wake up, Curtis. <laughs> uh, Curtis, wake up. All right. Looks like Curtis ended up muting himself and is going to have to come back on. All right. So that means that I am stuck by myself again. Oh, so anyway, as I'm looking, and this is where I'm looking for. Okay. All right. We have we do have a lot to talk about, a lot going on. Um, I don't know if anyone has been following the court case that's been going on here in South Carolina with Alex Murda and the murder of his um, son and wife, and that yesterday he was found guilty on all charges of first-degree murder, and this morning, he was sentenced to two life sentences. So not only was he found guilty, but within 24 hours, less than 24 hours, he has been sentenced to two life sentences in prison. And yet, he still faces an additional 99 financial charges, felony financial charges. This man will never see the light of day again. Curtis, are you now back with us? I was never... Muted. Can you hear me? Now we got you now. We do have you back now. It's just strange. <laughs> I never muted myself. I, I guess it's just more technical um, issues with um, BLR. <laughs> I don't know about well, I this. had those issues. I had those issues uh, last week. So you know. So now you know how I feel. Yeah. Well, hopefully next week we'll be on that new. Um, program well hopefully 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 so i'm trying to send um a message uh to the agent for our guest uh just so bear with me as i'm typing this out and i'm my fingers are not behaving all right just all right curtis you had you recently had a speech that you were giving at an organization. Tell us what was going on with you over there that you were giving a speech on. Oh, <clears throat> last night I was in um, an area called Pine Hill, Florida. Actually, the event wasn't in Pine Hill. The group was from Pine Hill, Florida. Just, just I think it's a suburb like uh, Orlando. But the um, place that the event was held was called Pine Hill. So, but anyway, <clears throat> my my topic was to speak on um, politics and voting, and um, when you you engage in politics and voting, who is on the Lord's the Lord's side, <clears throat> the Lord's side when um, they vote? In other words, who are following their um, biblical and religious upbringing? Um, when they get involved in politics, and I share with them not too many of our leaders, I could say that much, 
But um, and if they were, you know, then when people shout, you know, Black Lives Matter, well, then why aren't you concerned about all the black lives that are being uh, aborted, you know, before they even have a chance to be born? Um, why you are not up in the urban areas where there's black on black, you know, crime against, you know, the innocent, and they're losing their lives. So it was basically um, all about when you vote, vote your convictions, your religious convictions, and hopefully those religious convictions, you know, are grounded in um, Judeo-Christian um, um, religious religious um, teachings. Um, because there are some people that are religious, and but they belong to some kind of occult or something like that. That's their religion or whatever. So you got to be careful when you tell people to follow their their convictions and religion. But um, I stress that if you go by the word, which is the good book, you know, you can't go too wrong. You know, um, there's there's something to be said with what you're having to say, and we're going to bring that up with our, our guest, who is now calling in on the line. I want to welcome back to the show, if my computer will allow me to do this. Okay, there we go. want to back... Back to the show and in our studio, I want to welcome Rick Meta. He is a former FDA official. Uh, he's also a college professor at Georgetown University. I hope I'm getting this all correctly. At Georgetown University, he's a professor of health law, which, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about over there, and former candidate for Congress out of the state of New Jersey, where half of my family still lives. <laughs> haven't helped them, but they're still there. <laughs> we fled. <laughs> we fled New York I feel Jersey, for them. and we're here in the South, I feel. <laughs> where I chose to be. <laughs> so welcome aboard, Rick. Welcome back to the show. How are you today? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Thanks. Well, we have so much to talk about, and I, you have to pardon me. I was looking for AJ's phone number. I shuffled all my papers around, so I have to get them back in order now. But the main topic that everyone is talking about right now today is this WHO pandemic treaty and how we're about ready to give up our sovereignty to an international organization that is controlled by the Communist Chinese Party. Am I looking at this wrong or right? No, exactly. You're looking at it right. So the way it's structured is that the WHO uh, has uh, countries that have joined as part of this pact uh, to something called the International Health Regulations. And the International Health Regulations were drafted in order to uh, help countries share information because we know uh, for the longest time China continues to hide information, is not transparent about viruses, and we know viruses know no boundaries. Uh, right, and we're not looking to necessarily stop travel. The problem is, uh, is that many countries, like China, uh, are not necessarily participating in equal footing as other countries. And so now we're engaging in ratifying new versions of this, increasing uh, the ability for the WHO to take over what would otherwise be countries' own responsibilities of surveillance, uh, monitoring, tracking, uh, and other pieces uh, without really holding those that don't participate properly accountable. So you are looking at it correctly. You know, what scares me is that the, the policing part, the surveillance, the tracking, and 
here we are. We are actually giving up our Tenth Amendment protections, aren't we, with this treaty? Is there any way to stop it? Well, and, and that's what's tough. I mean, if you look at it the way our constitutional is written, you're absolutely right. The Tenth Amendment is what we call as the uh, rights that states have that aren't otherwise uh, articulated in the Constitution. And so normally uh, those rights are seen as, like, for example, the police power. And when I say police power, I mean it broadly to say our response to public health falls under what this so-called police power is. And oftentimes it's the states that take the first step in protecting their own citizens uh, using the police power, using their public health response in declaring emergencies and containing it. Uh, and what we've done and what we've seen with COVID, it's become a very slippery slope where the federal government has usurped states' rights, uh, commandeered states through legislation, and taken away what otherwise would be states' rights for exerting uh, the police power. Now we're going even a step further and continue to give more rights away uh, to international governmental organizations such as the WHO, uh, of which we know they are not uh, an elected body and not accountable uh, to the people. Uh, so, yes, this is something we got to tread uh, very lightly on. I think more Americans need to wake up and, and pay attention. Uh, and over the years, we've gone from what otherwise would be individual rights to giving it up to government, and now states' rights giving it up to federal, and now federal usurping it over to international authorities. Rick, isn't it true? Isn't it true that our Senate is tasked with um, ratifying any treaty? Correct. So how can Correct. this not be challenged? Well, I'll tell you. I hope it is. But now that, with the caveat of understanding that the U.S. government is already. Um, a member of the WHO. Now, if you recall, uh, when President Trump was president, he pulled this out of the WHO. He said, we will not recognize the WHO, that they are working a bit nefariously and hiding uh, what China uh, did uh, with, with COVID uh, and basically serving as a marketing arm uh, for them to cover up, uh, you know, both the virus, the surveillance, uh, and not disclosing of information. Um, so now, given that we're already members, you know, there will be some questions as to whether or not it has to go back to Congress uh, to be uh, ratified, or uh, can the U.S. policy, uh, health policy, global health policy team go ahead and uh, move forward with uh, uh, the changes that, they're, that are being proposed without ratification? Well, now, you're making me pull some cobwebs off the back of my mind, because going back to the start of the pandemic, which was not recognized at all uh, by any nation until, uh, all right, let's see, um, 2020. So back in 2019, I was hearing from friends of mine that were serving as missionaries over in China in the Wuhan province uh, of what was already coming our way. They were warning us ahead of time to get yourself hand sanitizers, to get, get yourself masks. If you can't get them, make them. And we were hearing about this back in September of 2019. And we know the first known cases were surfacing in November, December. And who would not recognize it? I believe it was not until March. So they were helping do a massive cover-up. But when you look back at the, the leadership in WHO, which was coming out of, believe it or not, from Ethiopia, there was a great financial union between Ethiopia 
and China because Ethiopia basically opened up the Belt and Road Initiative in Africa for the Chinese, which then leads us to the leader Tedros, who is still heavily a shill for the Chinese Communist Party. Why isn't anyone bringing this out? Why isn't anyone challenging their authority over other sovereign nations? Why are we letting them get away with this? Well, I, I wish I had a legal answer for you, but really it just means we have really weak uh, a government and administration. We do not have someone strong in the White House that's going to stand up versus allowing for the usurpation, the usurping our rights over to an international governmental organization. Uh, the, and, and, you know, the crux of this treaty is, is focused on equity and cooperation. Okay, equity, uh, saying that we need a more equitable distribution of pandemic products, uh, vaccines, therapeutics, creating a WHO global pandemic supply chain. We are literally uh, allowing for the rest of the world to come first at the detriment of the U.S. Now, remember, when the pandemic first started, uh, we, we had already, you know, over the years become way too reliant on China. Uh, however, because of our deep pockets and purses, we were able to purchase products in order to keep Americans safe. Now, this was before we knew anything about the virus, right? Now, for real virus would strike, what they're basically proposing is that the U.S. would be on the same footing as every other country, uh, and we would get supplies uh, in the same manner. So now, what President is saying, uh, you know, is standing up and saying, well, we're going to keep American citizens first. You know, not, it's not happening in the White House. So, yeah, every American should be concerned about this uh, and how our rights are, not only our rights are being usurped, but if this is uh, signed uh, and put into force, uh, then, you know, again, uh, there could potentially be a, a shortage uh, of vaccines and other um, medical equipment uh, during a pandemic uh, in order to create this, quote-unquote, equ equitable distribution among all countries. Well, you said something that really goes to the crux of the problem. We are so dependent upon Chinese products. Now, prior to the pandemic, vast majority of our medications were being manufactured out of China. As a matter of fact, we were finding, and I found out, that I ended up having allergic reactions to some of them because we don't know what actually we're putting into these alleged medications. Uh, there's no quality control like we would have here in the United States in our own manufacturing system. Uh, that was completely out. I, I, don't even get me started on the clothing, especially baby clothing and other baby products that were coming out of China that had to be recalled because of fire hazards or injury hazards or whatever going on and on. Uh, we have become so dependent upon Chinese manufacturing uh, that when something does happen, the Chinese actually controls the supply chain to the entire world. And I can think of the most iconic image of a warehouse in Pennsylvania, and they had stockpiled all these masks and gowns, but every single box in the warehouse was stamped made in China. Uh, but no one yeah. is, is recognizing this, and then we have a Chinese-controlled organization, the World Health Organization, that we know is directly controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. There's no ands, it's a buts about that. It's blatant. And we are allowing ourselves to enter into a legal agreement between this organization and our sovereign nation that will destroy 
our constitution and our way of life. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. And what I'll even to add to that, uh, you know, eighty to ninety percent of our active ingredients that go into our medicines, the raw materials, come from China, and that hasn't changed. Um, and we saw that the time before there were vaccines, before there were treatment options, and when uh, doctors were using uh, medications like hydroxychloroquine and others when we didn't know uh, how to treat this or how to tackle this. Uh, all of those ingredients were coming from China, and the Chinese government marked up the pricing over 400% in order to source it. Uh, same with uh, protective equipment, um, you know, PPE equipment, uh, medical equipment, it all was coming from China. Uh, the sourcing of it, and, uh, and we've become so dependent. Now, it actually gets worse than that. We've had massive recalls of drugs uh, because they've been contaminated with carcinogens. Right now, we're going through a massive uh, recall of blood pressure medicines, um, cholesterol medicines, all contaminated with carcinogens, the raw material of which, uh, the sourcing of it, which comes from China. Uh, we've seen this uh, back in 2008, where we have a blood thinner called heparin, which was contaminated with uh, oversulfated chondroitin sulfate. It killed 100 Americans. The sourcing of it was a pig farm uh, in China. This continues to happen, this supply chain threats and vulnerabilities that we have for our American medical supply because we've become so dependent on a communist country. Uh, and, and we know that they don't operate with clean our, uh, hands, right? So when I was an inspector at the FDA and I was an advisor on uh, global programs and supply chain threats, we knew oftentimes the Chinese government would tip off manufacturing plants that inspectors were coming uh, in order for us to not have uh, be able to conduct a fair inspection or a surprise visit. Uh, and we saw that same kind of uh, principles applied when, when WHO and, and uh, NIH and others tried to form a committee to investigate the origins of COVID. Ch to this day, the Wuhan Institute has not released primary data for us to get to the bottom of, of this lab leak. And, and for me, it's no longer a question whether it was leaked from a lab. The question is whether it was done on purpose or not. Uh, so we know that they don't play fair. We know that they continue to uh, bend angles, and we know that the WHO continues to cover up and is not authoritative in, in pushing them to come to the table and cooperate appropriately. So this, we are trading on very, very dangerous uh, grounds. Yeah, and what, what also gets me is that when this all broke out, and of course, I got banned from YouTube because of my commenting on COVID. I, I have the, I wear that with a, a proud badge. Um, we do know that American businessmen such as Bill and Melinda Gates and others were investing their money over into this Wuhan lab and the research they were doing. And it was our own federal government. Thank you, Fauci, that also gave our federal government funds to help do their research. And, oh, gee, wasn't there a slight exchange between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci about gain-of-function research that was going on? And I'm also now hearing, we're hearing now, there's a second virus about to ready to be sprung on the rest of the world. And yet we're following the same failed policies and then ceding our sovereignty to who that will then enforce those failed policies, we've got to be nuts. We, we are nuts. And I'll tell you, we have, what it boils down to is a very weak administration, one that has not been tough on China, one that does not put America first and American citizens first. Um, and, you know, we continue to slip away our authority, our 
li- literally our leadership in the world. Um, America has become a bit of a laughing stock under the Biden administration, and, and it's dangerous grounds here. Um, we don't know if the uh, virus was made, um, well, we, whether it was man-made, but there's enough circumstantial evidence that shows that the behavior of this virus uh, is unlike and atypical than any virus we've ever seen. Now, how did that just pop up out of nowhere? Uh, and we saw 20 years ago with uh, H1N1, bird flu, and others uh, that China did not play fairly. They did not disclose information. And the WHO, remember, the director at that time was Margaret Chan, a Chinese national. They were never tough um, on China to come to the table and disclose information in order for the rest of the world to know what's going on. Uh, you know, these wet markets that they say it it comes from, you know, now we see that the way that the virus operates is something that we've never seen before. It's unlike Ebola, West Nile virus, Zika. Um, and we don't know now if COVID was just a pilot for something even more nefarious, right? And this is the reason why we have to get answers and why our, fa- our leaders, uh, our current administration has failed us in getting those answers. And it may actually be too late to actually get those answers now with all the cover-up we know China does. That's, that's exactly right. And we're finding out the ramifications of the mRNA factor in these viruses. And, um, oh, good Lord, is it, uh, I'm trying to think of the doctor that blew the whistle, and he was one of the ones that uh, uh, was the, the lead scientist between, around the mRNA development. Um, I can see his face, and all of a sudden I got a major brain fart. Uh, I'm going to say McDougal, McDouglas. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, he's, he writes a lot in the Epic Times. And probably at 2 in the morning, I'll remember his name. Uh, But we're finding out the ramifications of these and what it's doing to our human body once you have it in your system. But what's scaring me now is that research is going on about having uh, a vaccine that is transmitted without the person knowing it. They can get the vaccine just by passing by someone who's already been vaccinated. Uh, There's also now research going into placing the vaccine or the mRNA factor into our food chain so that if you end up getting that nice T-bone steak with that baked potato and tons of sour cream the way I love it, that if I bite into that T-bone steak, I may be ingesting the virus and putting it into my system without my knowledge. There are so many boundaries that are being blown apart that this virus has brought to, to, to the forefront. Yeah, and I think it's Dr. Malone uh, you might have been referring Thank to, you. Uh, Dr. Yeah, Robert I'm Malone. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, that's right, that's right. Well, you know, and, and that's the danger of, of when you uh, break the integrity of the FDA approval process. Listen, we've had the FDA and this approval process, um, the, the requirement of what we call a pre-market approval since 1938, right? It's been almost 100 years since we've had it, and it was built on purpose. It was built because we had uh, people that were just making any drugs, selling snake oil, making whatever claims they wanted, and contaminating products with, at the time, uh, 1962, uh, with the polyethylene glycol uh, making sulfonilamide. And and that tragedy, which killed a lot of children, was the reason we have a pre-market approval process. And now we're at a point where we're throwing that out the window using emergency use authorizations and allowing for the marketing of unapproved products 
we don't have the full safety profile in picture. You know, every product has what we call the benefit risk profile, and the way to mitigate risks uh, with any product is through the label. You know that long piece of paper that doctors and nurses and pharmacists look at? That is the cornerstone for mitigating risk and making a product quote-unquote safe. You know, at the end of the day, no drug or no vaccine is safe. Every drug and vaccine has adverse events associated with it, uh, but you have to take it as it's intended to be taken. Well, the only way to know that is if you have the label. When these vaccines were first put out, pharmacists were vaccinating furiously, and they had no label to look at in terms of what the adverse events are, how to provide proper information to patients for patients to have informed consent. And that's because we had no long-term safety studies. And even the advisory committee said that, you know, they weren't ready to, quote, unquote, give their blessings for this product until they had a full profile. Uh, and so, you know, we circumvented the entire process to quickly push out something uh, where, you know, what was the case fatality rate? So. We've been living in fear for the last two years. We're still under a public health emergency legally. Uh, and I think everyone by now um, knows that there's no real imminent threat to health or harm uh, due to COVID. So it's really, Rick. it's quite bizarre. Yes, Rick. sir. <clears throat> Wasn't it dangerous for the government to be in a position to force people, um, not directly but indirectly, um, by saying, and this goes for the private sector too, if you don't get this vaccine or therapeutic or whatever you know you want to call it, you may lose your job. That goes against everything this Constitution stands for, you know, being forced to put something in your body that you may not want or agree with or whatever. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, any time the government injects themselves into the patient-physician relationship, that is a dangerous proposition. You know, when the virus first started, we trusted our healthcare heroes. We uh, believed in them, and they were treating something that no one ever knew of. Uh, and then so quickly, once the vaccines were put out under emergency use, government stepped in and said, now you're forced to take it. Well, how many healthcare heroes lost their job because they refused to take it? How many of them knew their patients uh, and yet were forced to vaccinate their patients because of what what was the public health response and need for mandating that? You know, at the time, the policy was to try to establish herd immunity, and we knew based on the efficacy levels and the way that the virus was mutating, we would never achieve herd immunity. Uh, so why did they have that mandatory policy? And, you know, it's... It's, it's an abject failure, and all it's done is broken the integrity and trust Americans have in their public health system. Well, Rick, we definitely have to have you come back on because there's so much to delve into on this one issue alone. Let it, forget about even Biden's reaction to fentanyl and blame it all on Trump. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to point out in this, uh, under this Biden administration, they submitted amendments to this treaty, which altered it and further eroded our sovereignty and our Constitution. And some of the things in there is, you mentioned the One Health surveillance, but it also uh, is so broadly brushed that a pandemic can include the environment, climate control, agricultural emissions. I remember they were trying to regulate bovine and ovine flatulence. Um, CO2, uh, 
or any other what they design as a health emergency. Oh, heaven forbid, remember the UN was already saying that abortion is a human right. Uh, so now if we are pro-life and we are fighting our government funding abortions because we are pro-life, whether it's through our religion or our, just our belief, um, the WHO can step in and say, this is a pandemic because you are, you are stopping or slowing down abortion. Now, this we now control and we consider it a pandemic. That is how broad this treaty is, isn't it? It can be broad. And what I, as I said, you know, uh, the one that concerns me the most is this notion of equity and cooperation related to our supply chain. Um, I've never seen that before. Every country has a responsibility as a sovereign nation to its citizens, and providing medicine, therapeutics, and medical equipment uh, is within their right. Now, if the WHO feels that it's, you know, it's inequitable that America has some more than others, you know, are we going to take away at the cost of American citizens? Um, So, yes, it raises a lot of questions on surveillance, influencing health policy. You know, it's not going to be a blanket where WHO will be able to will force Americans to, to do something or shift U.S. health policy. However, if bureaucrats, as we've seen, are weak in the White House, they could just step back and allow WHO to do it. And I think that's what's scary about this. Well, all we have to do is look at how China is handling their health care system now. Now, quote, under China Communist Party and China Chinese rule, everyone in China has health care. If the funds are there, and there's a caveat, because the Chinese government is going broke. So they're going down to local governments and having them fork over their money to help prop up the federal government. Uh, so now there are no dollars for health care on the local level, and all the dollars for health care, or yen, as I should say, for health care is going to the elite of the Chinese Communist Party. The elitists are getting the, the health care they need, but there's no dollars, no yen, or any money whatsoever for the average Joe. And this is, if we follow this WHO treaty, we're looking forward to that. Because now the Chinese Communist Party wants to destroy our nation, but what better way than to destroy it from within? And you start with guns, you start with political speech, and you, you continue with the health care. And then you kill off our nation. Isn't that what we're looking at right now? Well, it certainly feels that that could be a plausible uh, roadmap. And, and we can't for, so quickly forget about these Chinese pie balloons that were over Montana looking at our uh, assessing our, our nuclear weapons, right? So we know also um, uh, geopolitically uh, the Chinese Navy in the Indian Ocean has been outsized. There continues to be skirmishes where China – continues to creep in on, you know, on, on India um, and near Australia, where they continue to make um, advances uh, and threats. So there's a lot of geopolitical instability going on with the Chinese government, especially with other free nations. 
um, it does feel like there's this war brewing um, against democracy, against freedom, um, and, you know, the Chinese government is leading it. Listen, they have continued to devalue their currency. They continue to play the victim, saying they're a lower or middle-income country uh, and they need more resources, when the truth is their economy continues to outsize us. So why do they continue to make concessions, especially at an international level, and international governmental organizations like the WHO, the WTO, continue to give concessions to China uh, because they continue to play the victim card while at the same time growing a larger navy than we have. Uh, and why is the White House, you know, you mentioned average shows, speaking of average shows in the White House, why are they not stepping up and doing something about this and holding China accountable, especially for the chaos they've wreaked on the entire world? over the last two years uh, with COVID. So a lot of questions uh, been answers, but all I can say is that I hope in 2024 we make the right political shifts uh, to put our country first again. Yeah, there's so much more to talk about, especially when we're dealing with China, because I stopped buying Smithfield products because now China owns that factory. But we won't talk about the other food processing plants they have been buying up here in the United States or farmland or all the other areas they are purchasing here in the United States. If we were just to have a, a, a light on the map for every single place where China has purchased real estate or, or businesses or whatever, you would, would be absolutely shocked how much they have now their influence within our country and our food production, our medical uh, chain, everywhere, our, our education system. And unless we wake up, we're going to find that we are now part of the Chinese a communist country. But Rick, we have to have you back on. Like I said, there was so much more I had on my list to talk to you about uh, dealing with legal issues and health issues as well as other issues <laughs> that are facing us. But uh, we have to have AJ get you back on as soon as possible. How does that sound? I uh, would, would love to do it. And thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It is our pleasure. And when are you going to run for uh, Congress again? <laughs> that is a great question. Right now I'm Catching up with my three kids and my wife, uh, oftentimes feel like I have to reintroduce myself. I spent so much time on the campaign trail. Uh, but keep posted. You know, my political career just got started. <laughs> oh, well, we're here to support you any way we can, Rick. God bless you for the hard work you do, sure. and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Take care. All right. All right. Rick Meta, check him out. And we have a friend of ours. Uh, he is the creator and uh, and editor of And, A-N-D, magazine that you can find at Substack. A friend of the show that I haven't had on often enough, if I can get my teeth in straight. Welcome back, Sam Faddis. Good afternoon, Sam. How are you today? I am doing very well. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm going to sneeze in a split second, so I apologize if I sound a little nasally. Oh, man. Um, there's so much to talk about here, and and... I don't even know where to start, but I want to plug your magazine, And Magazine, which people can pull up online on Substack, but you have two different subscriptions. One is free and one is paid. What is the difference between the two so people will know when they do sign up what they're going to be getting? Right. Well, as you say, all the, uh, nine, the, the lion's share of the content is available free, but we do periodically put out uh, – 
premium articles that are only available to paid subscribers. But I, I suppose the big difference is we're just sort of asking people um, if if you want to keep seeing the kind of content and you want to keep and support us in general, uh, we'd appreciate you signing up to pay subscription. It's it's nominal, and obviously, uh, you know, as you well know, my primary focus and everybody that's involved with the magazine's focus is not on making money, it's just on telling the truth and shining a light on the stories that, you know, most of the media doesn't talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when I was looking at your staff list, I had a crack up because I saw Chet Nagel there, and I can just picture you and Chet sitting back with a couple of bourbons in hand, you know, just chewing the fat and cracking like crazy. (laughs) Oh, my God. What a fantastic person to have on your staff there. Chet is uh, when I grow up, I want to be Chet Nagel. That's that's my <laughs> my ambition. He he is uh, incredibly smart, uh, incredibly experienced. Been there, done that. Humble. Uh, we do periodically. He's still down in the D.C. area, and I'm up in PA. But we have a rendezvous that we uh, use. It's about midway, where when the weather's good, we. We do end up sitting outside and and maybe indulging in an alcoholic beverage or two. <laughs> or two. <laughs> or two. <laughs> I mean, you, exactly. you yourself have a storied background because you were a CIA operations officer, and you probably have stories up the wazoo to tell. And you have several books out that people can find on your website and also up on Amazon that they should check out. Uh, you don't have anything out new right now, do you? You've just been concentrating on the uh, the uh, Substack. Yeah, I, I I actually have been thinking recently about starting a new book, but no, right now I'm I'm out of hours in the day at the, with everything that we got going. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and it's going to heat up real fast, real soon, with, as the election comes nearer and nearer. Um, there was an article in your magazine recently, and you. Just had it. It was titled 12 Days Before Iran Can Nuke Tel Aviv. And we were being told by the media and by those in the powers that be, oh, Iran, don't worry about them. Uh, shall we not mention the suitcase of money that got flown over under the Obama administration? Um, don't worry about it. You know, they're more of a backward nation than you realize. There's nothing to see here, folks. That's not true anymore, is it? No, well, I mean, it was never true, and and we're just sort of running out of time, right? Like, there are a lot of things with the Biden administration where, you know, we've had concerns about name a problem for X number of years, but now they are really reaching critical stage. I mean, we're going from the stage of being worried about something to it actually happening, and Iran is a classic example. Um you know, I did a lot of weapons of mass destruction work in the CIA. My, I ran for a while the the CIA's weapons of mass destruction terrorism unit. So uh, I'm not a nuclear physicist, but I have some significant background in dealing with nuclear weapons. So the, the only real impediment to getting in a nuclear weapon for any country is acquiring sufficient fissile material, um, whether that's plutonium or or highly enriched uranium. The engineering work, right, was solved in 1945. So this is not cutting-edge science. And the physics was resolved prior to 1945. So, you know, anybody who thinks that there's only three guys in white lab coats who knows how to build nuclear weapons is crazy. This is 75-year-old technology. Um, But actually, 
enriching either uranium or plutonium, and I know I'm going to get lost in the weeds of that process, but you have to take a naturally occurring substance like natural uranium and put it through a very long, laborious process that usually is, has to be done on a very large industrial scale to take it from natural uranium, which is useless for a bomb, to highly enriched uranium, HEU, which will go boom. And because that requires this big industrial-scale process and a lot of money and a lot of effort and a lot of time, that's the impediment. That's what keeps countries from going nuclear. So the Iranians, to all indications, solved the engineering issues a long time ago, and they already have the missiles to put nukes on. So basically the only thing the Iranians have not had up until now is the HEU, the highly enriched uranium in sufficient quantity, to actually put in the device and stick it on the missile and be able to blow Tel Aviv off the face of the earth. Officially, we have now said openly, the Department of Defense, as of several days ago, that there are roughly 12 days from having that material. So it's been three or four days since then. So we're slightly more than one week from assuming that's accurate, because it could be worse than that, like by our own unclassified statements, about eight or nine days from the day the Iranians can finish assembly of that device, put it on a missile, and fire it at Tel Aviv. And keep in mind that, it, that Israel, they, their stated position is they intend to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Coexistence is not their objective. And Israel has no, as they would say in the trade, strategic depth. It's a tiny little country with everybody packed together. It cannot survive a nuclear strike and respond. If it is hit with any number of warheads, Israel ceases to exist. So that's, that's where we are. We're, we're literally on that, that precipice. And as you can tell, I'm sure everybody listening to this, the Biden administration has no plan, is not even talking about this. And when the Europeans recently started squealing about it, the Biden administration basically told them to shut up. Now, this is very, very scary, but the Israelis are not going to sit by and let this happen. So are we anticipating a, a preemptive strike by Israel to prevent any launch? Well, I have no doubt that, that the Israelis are prepared for, and, and probably as we speak, uh, you know, moments from, from launching a preemptive strike. But here's the catch. I mean, I've done a lot of work with the Israelis, and i got nothing but respect for them. They're very capable guys and gals. But it's not as simple as just striking, like, a place and putting some bombs on it, and it's over. The, the locations where the – first of all, the Iranians hide their, their facilities. Uh, secondly, all the key facilities are underground. Uh, they're hardened. They're very large. So it's not a matter of a few planes dropping a few bombs. To take out this program – you would have to hit all the locations where they might have the material, and you would have to sustain that air offensive. And that comes down into, that boils down to boring but critical logistical stuff. Do you have the air fueling capacity for your planes to even reach the target? How many planes do you have, and how many times and how quickly can they recycle, and what size ordinance can they put on the target, and all this kind of junk. So. It's not like they can just fly 
a handful of jets over, drop some bombs, and boom, we're we're all done. In other words, they they can very easily attempt to take out the program and not succeed despite their best efforts. They could find that the Iranians have dispersed the material, that there's a site they don't know about, or they're just not capable of penetrating the bunker. So I think a lot of people pin their hopes on the fact that even if we're all messed up, uh, the Israelis will solve the problem. They they will try, probably, but it don't. there's no guarantee that they can succeed in doing that. Now, if we help them, most definitely we have the ordinance and the refueling capacity and, and all of this, but there is zero indication right now that the Biden administration is even, even remotely contemplating doing that. Like I said, they're literally, this is how bad it is. The United Nations is taking point on, on sending somebody to Iran to lean on them. Now, that's how upside down the universe is now, that the United States is doing nothing and the United Nations, they're, they're the hard guys right now. They're the, they're the hard line people on our side of this issue. That's how crazy it is. That, that is scary. That is very scary. And what a lot of people don't realize is that some of their main facilities that Iran has for these nukes are inside mountains. So how do you destroy a mountain? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. So even if you knew where all of this – everybody's always talking – let's start with this. Everybody's always talking about intelligence. Well, intelligence is imperfect. Like, okay, the absence of intelligence is not intelligence. The fact that you don't know – not to sound all Donald Rumsfeld, but like you don't know and you don't know what you don't know. Um, so we, there is no like master list that says we definitively know – where all the pieces of the Iranian nuclear program are. Let's just start with that. We may There may be facilities we don't know about or that we think are being used for one purpose and are being used for another. But even if we just narrow it down to a place, an A facility, and for sure we got to hit that one, just like you just said, that does not equal we know for sure we can destroy that thing that's, you know, the the – Material is buried hundreds of feet down in tunnels through solid rock. I mean, pretty soon, unless you're getting ready to use a nuke yourself, it may be that you can't reach that facility. You don't have the physical capacity to do that. So, like, this is, this is the, you know, now we get down to the really terrifying part of it is, like, at what point is our intelligence so imprecise and our capacity to respond so limited that basically we just lost the bubble. Like, in other words, we've we've messed around with this for so long that the reality is we can't stop them. And they're going to actually, we're going to wake up in a world in which the Ayatollahs in Tehran possess nuclear weapons. And it, by the way, it's not just the Israelis that they'll use them on. I mean, the, the, the Iranians are Persians and they hate Arabs. So that's, Name all of the Arab countries in the Middle East. They are basically their enemies. They'll nuke, they'll nuke Riyadh as well as they'll nuke Tel Aviv. Hmm. And it's very scary because now you have a bunch of radical Islamics in control of these weapons. You know, it's not like you have someone where it's hard for Joe Biden to push the button because he's got to go through so many hoops. But these guys, they have no qualms about pushing that button at all. 
It's in the name of Allah, if you, if you can believe that. You know, when you first came on the show, we did talk about Iran, which tied into the books that you wrote. And at that point, Iran had attempted to sail a submarine from Iran to the east coast of the United States. And we laughed because we said, no, they, never, they couldn't do it because their Navy is that bad that week. But what has changed, because I recall seeing an article, and I tried to pull it up again, I could not find it, that recently Iran did sail a submarine to Brazil of all places. Is, has their Navy become stronger? Well, I mean, their capacity to, pro- to use the military term to project power that far from home with naval forces is obviously extremely limited. But, but they have vessels right now that I think are down off Venezuela as, as we're talking. Um, what, what, this, you know, what this highlights is the connection between these things and what we were just talking about, right? If you, if you have missiles and you have hypersonic missiles and you are involved in a, acquiring technology from North Korea, which they've been doing for a long time, and then we're going to talk about them uh, having nuclear weapons, and they obviously have chemical weapons as well, then then all of a sudden a ship operating in the Caribbean becomes something really significant, right? It's not, it's not like it's going to go toe-to-toe with a, an American carrier battle group and win, but if it has the capacity to fire missiles that will hit the United States literally within a few minutes because they're so close, much faster than we can protect, that we would ever intercept them. And if they can carry weapons of mass destruction payloads, then all of a sudden something that seems silly is not silly anymore, right? It's it's okay now. You could you could hit Houston with a weapon which will kill very large numbers of people. Will the ship be sunk afterward? Obviously, but that doesn't change the fact that that's a pretty big deal. And that's, you know, that's that's where we are because we're just not the – other, the other thing I just want to throw in a commentary here, you know, it, I, my comments about the Iranians are not intended to say that, hey, if you're a Muslim, all you want to do is, is engage in jihad. I, I've, I've worked all over the East, Middle East. I've worked with a lot of Muslims. That's not where I'm going with that. The Ayatollahs who are in power in Tehran are a different breed, right? These guys – are radical jihadists, and they believe that it is the end of times. That's not hyperbole. They literally believe that. This is, we are on the eve of Armageddon, the final days, the apocalypse, whatever kind of terms you want to use, and they believe that they will win and that that's the whole point. In other words, at the core of their ideology is a desire to bring on Armageddon and the end of days because they know that they are going to win this conflict. So you are not talking about a bunch of guys who are just engaging in some rational dialogue and, you know, thinking about this in terms of we want a few nuclear weapons so you won't invade. That's, that's, not, their, that's not how they think, again, the guys at the core of the Islamic Republic in Tehran. Sam. Yes, sir. Um, you know, there it was once a reality in the past that um, if you attacked the United States with a nuclear weapon, it would be all out with the um, mutual assured destruction um, um, response. Um, 
are we at a point now where they don't fear us anymore or they doubt our leadership would respond? Yeah, I, 100%. We crossed that, we crossed that bridge a long time ago. Uh, and, and it is, um, it is terrifying to me the extent to which, I mean, we're talking right now about Iran, but we, you know, in, we've got this war going on with, between Russia and Ukraine. And most of the media doesn't talk about this, but about every other day, some senior Russian official, not just some schmo on the street, but somebody in a position of power, makes a very clear reference to the fact that if you push us any further, we're going we're gonna to use nuclear weapons. I mean, the other day, they were literally Lavrov, who used to be the president, is now basically the number two guy in what amounts to their National Security Council, was talking about nuking Ukraine and how it wouldn't it would be uninhabitable for hundreds or thousands of years those are literally his words and we're not responding nor are we taking so that's where we are we're kind of on the precipice with all these crises it's like the cuban missile crisis but on steroids and in multiple places and yet the administration doesn't seem to really respond to any of this so no i don't think we're taken seriously and you know, I don't want to turn every uh, talk about everything in terms of like it's all about a the, like a third ground playground fight. But the bottom line is there is an element to national security where if people aren't afraid of you, yes, they're really are. They're going to take advantage of you, and we're way down that road. As a matter of fact, you write about it in your um, on your website and magazine at Substack.com, and you're saying that. You were you were saying about Medvedev saying that hey listen it's it, it's going to happen. Uh, you quote him in talking about that. Uh, he said in today's conditions, when all the leading NATO countries have declared their main goal is inflicting a strategic defeat on us, so that our people suffer, as they say, how could we ignore their nuclear capabilities in these conditions? They're already saying hey listen we're we know you got you're going to respond, but we're going to do this anyway. You know. Um, then you have someone like John Bolton uh, doing the war hawk, you know, rant. So how do we approach the Ukrainian situation with Putin and his crony allies in Russia? Well, listen, my, my philosophy when it comes to anything that has to do with national security is uh, your approach needs to be really clear-eyed and really sober and, and laser focused on American national interest, right? Anytime anybody starts talking about going to war, my first advice is, yeah, you could get a drink of water and walk around for a while and cool down because this is not a, a decision you make based on emotion. This is not we're going to throw some punches and have a bloody nose. This is hundreds of thousands or millions of people are going to die. So let's we better have a really, really cool, cool head here. I am I am no fan of Vladimir Putin. He's a thug. He's a relic of the Cold War. And his fantasy is to reconstitute the old Soviet Union. I get it. Okay, that's not going to happen. But that's, that's, that's where he's coming from. Uh, on the other hand, we have done a whole bunch of things on our side of the, the equation, if you will, that would give anybody in Moscow in a position of power some real pause, right? NATO was founded when NATO was founded, the dividing line between East and West, if you will, the line of demarcation, ran right through the middle of then a divided Germany, right? And NATO was formed, 
and we were busy trying to figure out, can we keep the Russians from taking Paris within two days? Like, it was a defensive alliance. Good God, can we stop these guys? All right, it, all these decades later, that line of demarcation, if you will, doesn't run through the middle of Germany anymore. It's at the Polish border, which I think is, you know, we're talking like 800 miles closer to Moscow. And basically every country that used to be in the Warsaw Pact that was an ally of the Russians is now in NATO or talking about joining NATO. And, and in fact, actually pieces of the old Soviet Union, like the Baltic republics, are in NATO. Right? So mm -hmm. if you're sitting in Moscow, again, I'm not a defender of Vladimir's by any stretch of the imagination. If you're sitting in Moscow, that kind of looks like what used to be a defensive alliance has turned into an offensive alliance geared at threatening Russia. So at some point in this equation, what we ought to be talking about is negotiating an end to this conflict, getting the Russians out of Ukraine, but also maybe they're going to have to be, you know, something that gives the Russians the assurance that the next step is not American tanks headed, headed for Moscow. And maybe that sounds insane to us, but it sounds a lot less insane to them looking at, I mean, the Poles a year or two ago were talking about they wanted an American tank division in Poland, a base they would build and call Fort Trump, right? I'm not making that up. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that might seem a little goofy to us. The Poles meant it to be uh, a compliment. To, to Vladimir Putin, I'm sure it came across as a pretty friggin' threatening thing. You know, um, I, I, having my late husband being from Latvia, uh, I understand a lot of the, the dynamics here uh, to an extent. And every time I see what's going on in Ukraine, I keep on remembering the port of Riga, which was a main Russian port. And when Latvia declared their independence, one of the things they did in the cemetery, the main cemetery in Riga, was dig up the Russian dead and try to ship them back to Moscow. Uh, that is how much hatred and animosity there is between these former uh, satellites of the Soviet Union. Uh, so when I see them coming through the Ukraine, I see them heading straight for the Baltic states, and try to recapture Riga. So is there any validity into what I'm seeing and what Putin desires? Well, first of all, I think you hit a very good point, which is you're talking about an area of the world, and this is hardly the only part of the world where this is true, right, where everybody hates somebody for something that was done to them in the past, right? And if you're anybody in Eastern Europe, at the top of that list is probably the Russians, right? Because at one point or the other, they have conquered and run, you know, God knows, you know, my wife's family is Polish. Okay, you can imagine their general attitude toward Russians, right? That's not, not, real, comp not real complimentary. Um, I think there is absolute validity to the fact that Vladimir Putin, I mean, Vladimir Putin is on record as saying the greatest tragedy of the 20th century was the dissolution of the Soviet Union. This guy grew up as part of that system. If he could, he would put together the he, no question. He would put together the old Soviet Union tomorrow. That that that's his fantasy world. Let's just dial back several decades and go back to to that position. So no question that he would do that. What I think we have to recognize is Russia is a fraction of the old Soviet Union. 
and with a fraction of its strength and its power. And that Red Army that ran, you know, took Berlin in 1945, it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it, it, one of the things the war in Ukraine has exposed is that his, you know, his blitzkrieg to take Kiev in three days has turned into trench warfare a year later. He's pulling tanks out of mothballs, T-62s. When I was an armor officer in the U.S. Army 40 years ago, T-62s were obsolete, and if we saw them on the battlefield, we would have killed them as fast as we could put shells in the main gun. And that's what he's reduced to, is pulling mothball tanks out of out that are for, that were obsolete 40 years ago and sending them to he's bleeding to death so his capacity to threaten the rest of Europe is is pretty well spent this to me is what what it increases though is is the danger of him using nuclear weapons right because his conventional forces are being bled to death but his nuclear capability remains untouched right he he is as strong in terms of nuclear power as he ever was he hasn't lost an icbm or a bomber so as 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 he gets pushed further and further and his conventional forces get weaker and weaker that temptation to use to sort of just pop off some nukes and say that's it game over i think gets higher i mean i i don't think you know, so for envision a scenario in which the Ukrainians are driving his guy or, or let's say moving toward Crimea and it looks like they might actually get into Crimea. And the next thing you know, he pops off a tactical nuclear weapon and takes out a Ukrainian armor column. And by the way, let's keep him on a tactical nuclear weapon these days. If it was a bomb the size of what we dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima these days, we would call it tactical. So it could still be a very big device and kill a whole heck of a lot of people. And I see that as a completely uh, possible scenario anytime in, anytime in the near future if things really start to roll against him. And then what are we going to do? Are we then going to respond with nuclear weapons? Because that's probably what Zelensky is going to ask us to do. Now, we throw China into this mix. What is their involvement in that? Because you you think geographically, but what does China have to do with Russia and the Ukraine? But they, there is an influence there. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I think the way the Chinese look at this is they want to become the dominant power on the planet, right? And they're just sort of going to play every situation in a way that is to their advantage there's no altruism involved they're not they're not looking to do the right thing or be the good guys they're just looking what advances the interests of the chinese communist party right now the russians are being bled to death in ukraine and we're sending all of our munitions and resources and money to a war in ukraine so that's a win for them right because it's bad for us and honestly it's bad for the russians and they might right now be sort of playing footsie with the Russians to the extent it benefits them. But in the past, they have been enemies, right? And they, the Chinese have ambitions in Far East. So if Russia gets weaker and gets sort of bled to death in this process, long-term, strategically, that's to their benefit. If we waste all our money and munitions on, on this conflict, that's to their advantage. I mean, that's the way they're going to look at it. They recently proposed this X number of point peace deal, you know, 
that they have no, they had no idea, they had no fantasy that anybody was accepting their peace deal. It's a mechanism for them intruding themselves, making themselves a player. And also, if you think about it, when, when we don't respond to their points to us, it will provide a pretext, if they choose, to then start arming the Russians. They can, say, they can blame us and say, look, we gave you a chance to bring peace, and you guys are clearly not interested, so we're just going to kind of level the playing field and, and start pumping resources to the Russians like you are to the Ukrainians. Well, let's throw another uh, wrench into the uh, whole mix here, because now you wrote about this in your magazine, and we've talked about this, we haven't talked about it in the last couple of years, but about the the undersea cable network. There's like only about 200 of them that control all the communications and commerce and all these other activities throughout the whole world. And it looks like Russia has attempted to interfere with them, and China also has been attempting to interfere with them in their uh, realm between Taiwan and mainland China. Um, If they cut those off and then they do a preemptive attack using a nuke, the world would not just have a World War III. It would be complete destruction of the world as we know it. Isn't that what they're aiming for? Yeah, well, I mean, they are certainly preparing to be able to do that, both the Chinese and the Russians. And most people don't understand exactly as you just laid out. Virtually all the Internet, if you will, runs on via cables that are that are laid that literally run along the seafloor and uh, not via satellites, as most people think. Not that there aren't satellites, but the bulk of the communication overwhelmingly moves via this network of cables. And uh, the cables, there are only, like you said, roughly 200 of them, and they, the locations of them are very well mapped and available. This is not classified information. They also tend to run sort of in bundles and via certain check po- uh, choke points. So they're not like just spider-webbed randomly all over the ocean floor. They run at certain locations. And we know that both the Chinese and the Russians have prepared for and are currently undertaking efforts focused on this. And if you take if you take out those cables, you basically wreck the world economy the way the world works now, right? I mean, if 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 banking information can't move, communications can't move. This is not just an inconvenience. It's not like you just can't watch your TV show tonight. It's like nothing happens, right? First of all, no money moves. Banks don't move. And since all your money exists electronically, right, you don't keep your money stacked in a safe, most people. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's on a, it, it exists only in a computer, really. So as soon as you start doing this, you've, you've wrecked the entire economy. You're taking down the world economy. Um, it's also taking down defense communications, all sorts of other communications, you, you know. Just imagine you woke up tomorrow and the Internet didn't exist and you don't have power and you can't talk to anybody. You can't place a phone call. You can't access anything on the Internet. You can't buy anything online. You can't even place an online order. I mean, your whole world vaporizes, and they, they could very easily do that. These things are not defended in, it, in any way. I mean, people go, oh, well, the United States, what do we have to do with those underground cables? But it was uh, Navy... Uh, Admiral James, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Stavridis, uh, former Supreme Allied Commander for NATO, 
he said that over 95% of everything goes through those cables. So even though you may have a network that's here in the United States, somehow or other, some way or another, it, it is influenced by these cables. And they're not guarded. They just come up on set locations on the beaches and goes and just everywhere else it goes throughout the rest of the world. There's nothing guarding them. And how do you guard something no, that's that, in the water? No, they're too? not guarded. How, how do you prevent them from cutting? Uh, you, you don't, and, and quite frankly, it's kind of physically impossible to do so. I mean, you got a cable. There are many. There, there's more than one, but you got a cable that runs from North America to Europe. Okay, that's thousands of miles, and it's literally laying on the bottom of the ocean, right? That's 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 what we're talking about, and so there is no capacity on <laughs> there's, no, there's no way to stop yeah. them from being cut. Well, let me ask you this much, Sam. <clears throat> if it impacts the world economy, how would these countries that initiate this uh, attack not be affected themselves? Well, Good question. there is no way that there's is no way that they would not be they would not be affected. But but let me put it to you this way: one of the things that I one of the things that I I think we have trouble with generally when we're talking about conflict with other nations is looking no matter how hard we try. We look at the problem and we look at it through our eyes and through our worldview, and we we act we we think about what our opponent's going to do based on what we would do. This is true in in counterterrorism all the time, right? We look at a target and we're trying to harden it against Al Qaeda, but what we're really doing is thinking about how would SEAL Team Six take down this target. We're not talking about how Al Qaeda would take down the target. So. Let's talk about the communist Chinese for a while. Would war with the United States and cutting cables and moving on Taiwan and all the other things that we worry about them doing, would it wreck their existing economy? I mean, would it wreck the economy as it currently exists in communist China? Without question, right? You would take down world trade. Nobody's buying anything. Nobody's shipping anything. There's huge deprivation. You would think there's no way in the world they're going to do that. That's stupid, man. Why would you do that? But the Chinese Communist Party doesn't necessarily care. I mean, when Mao ordered 100 million Chinese out of the cities into the countryside decades ago as part of his you know, overall plan for remaking society, millions of people died. He, he, he killed millions of his own people from hunger and everything else. You would think, that's, a, that's insane. Nobody would do that. But he didn't care about any of that. What he cared about was it had the impact of solidifying his power. A lot of these lockdowns that have happened in southern China over the last year or so have been less about public health and more about crushing the power in places like Shanghai of this class of Chinese that has developed, that have a lot of money and aren't necessarily totally committed to communism anymore, and they're getting way too cozy with the Americans. They're getting, you know, to use a really old-fashioned expression, they're getting kind of uppity. So the Chinese Communist Party is going to remind them who's boss by just locking everything down. 
So you'd say, well, that's nuts because you're shuttering factories and harming your own people and killing your GDP. But it isn't nuts from the standpoint of the way they look at it because what the number one interest, the only thing that really matters, is the power of the CCP. So you start a war with the Americans and cut Internet cables and move on Taiwan, no doubt the economy is going to be crushed in China and people are going to starve to death. But if you're Xi Jinping, I don't really think that's at the top of your list of things that you care about. That's that's He's looking for come out the other side of this when they have supplanted the United States as the number one power on the globe. But what I am thinking is that and I think we often leave out the American people, the citizens, we would be outraged and we'd be demanding um, for those um, responsible for attacking the United States, I'm talking about the leadership, that they be taken out by all and any necessary means. So they have to realize their lives may be threatened as well because we would have the demand to go after them Am I not right? I, I, like a I don't. I don't. You know, dis- the drug world. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't disagree with you. Although, you know, at this point, you wonder how much. I mean, I think that's. Let's put it this way. I think that's an accurate statement. I would certainly hope that that would be the reaction of the American people. That across the board, you would you'd be like, okay, we're at war, so let's get let's get real now. Let's get serious. Um, whether the Chinese Communist Party still has the confidence, still believes that, I don't know. And I don't think that anything that our this administration's doing, and it's not just this administration. I, mean, I think this administration's the worst, but this trend line has been going on for a long time. I'm not sure how much credibility we have, uh, you know, in terms of our leadership. I mean, they they have so... They, the Chinese, have so co-opted American leadership across the board with money and and pulled them so far down this rabbit hole of becoming entangled with the Chinese Communist Party that I I don't know to what extent Xi Jinping really worries about the United States pushing back anymore. Like, I don't know that he sees that. And I hope we don't have to find out. Well, did we lose Annie? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I just thought I thought I would just play the devil's advocate and, and inject American people because no, um, there are some people who who believe that um, public opinions will sway our leadership, and that's why there's some um, conspiracy theories out there about World War II and how some of our leaders allow. Pearl Harbor to be attacked so we can get right. the people on the side of um, getting getting into that war, involved in that war. So, you know, the, the people still have, you know, um, power once united for a particular cause. Um, I mean, when they killed Osama bin Laden, I mean, just about every American um, went out in the streets and celebrated, you know. I, I, I'm I'm like you, man. I I have like infinite faith in the American people still. Uh, not so much currently in in our leadership. In the leadership, and I should me neither. <laughs> and I and I would say, by the way, let's to be clear. I mean, I'm no fan of Joe Biden's. That's transparently obvious. I think 
that is likely the worst president that's ever sat in the Oval Office. But this is not really a Democrat or Republican thing. We've been going oh, – if no. we're just talking about communist China, we've been going down this road with the communist Chinese for decades. I mean, either one of the Bushes was in office. We didn't suddenly change course and stop entangling ourselves and start bringing mm-hmm. factories home. We we didn't do anything about this. We just kept climbing further and further and further into bed with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, when I say, I say and I say that just to be crystal clear, you know, these people are are the Chinese Communist Party. This is not a this is not a thing about the Chinese people. This has nothing to do with ethnicity or any of that other nonsense. The the people that suffer most at the hands of the CCP are the Chinese people themselves. They're the ones that wake up every day in what amounts to a giant prison camp, right? So, mm-hmm. but the Chinese Communist Party, the idea that we decide. I mean, my my bottom line is this: we made a decision to economically entangle ourselves with a totalitarian communist regime. Now, that's insane. That we decided to take what was becoming our number one enemy on the face of the earth and make them richer and more powerful. Because that's all we've done for 30 years is make them make our enemy. Again, not the Chinese people, the Chinese Communist Party. We have made them more powerful for 30 years at least. And now we're, we're on the cusp of them being able to win a war against us in East Asia. And they're going to use our money and the technology they stole from us to win that war if they do so. That would, like, kind of nobody to blame but ourselves, right? Well, our leadership, oh, yeah. most of them, they they profited by this. I mean, yes. Hunter Biden, that's a prime example yes. of our leadership being um, bribed and, and, and coerced yep. into, um, you know, giving up state secrets and, and whatnot, making our country weaker because they're benefiting financially, you know. And it's look, treason, I, I, if you want to ask me, I, treason. Look, I agree 100%, man, and I think, uh, you know, um, I, well, I just agree 100%. I mean, what the, the Chinese communists discovered was that the weakness of a capitalist system is greed, right? Exactly what you just said. So we now have people at every level of, uh, who are in power in this country who have gotten rich and are getting richer every day mm-hmm. from doing business with the Chinese Communist Party. There you go. And now you're asking them to stand up to the guys that are making them rich and they pay, and they are feeding them, and mm-hmm. that that from a Chinese Communist Party standpoint is a brilliant move. From our standpoint, it's a potentially fatal one. We just, you know, that's why I always say to people, at the core of this, we got to change course, right? We got to say you can't keep going down this road of making these people richer and more powerful, and then think that this ends well for you. You you got to change course. You got to bring business home, or if right. you can't. Bring, if, if you don't bring it home, you got to at least take the factories to countries that are friendly to us. You got to cut this cord to communist China. That's what you got to do, or, or or wait for the inevitable. Well, Sam, people don't realize how much the communist Chinese have influence within the United States alone, within just us alone. Uh, and I mentioned earlier uh, with uh, Rick Meta about the. Uh, food processing plants that they've been buying up, the farmland that they have been buying up, the real estate that they have been gobbling up left and right, uh, 
their plan is eventually the Americans will be not buying homes. They'll be renting them from the communist Chinese. Uh, they are influencing Hollywood, the media, uh, our levels of education, whether or not it's the Confucius school that's on the elementary level all the way up to secondary and college and universities. Uh, they're sitting in boardrooms influencing. Now they have their own form of ESG, the um, way in which to control people by their social and uh, interactions. But they're introducing that here in the United States, the ESGs, where businesses have to be woke, otherwise they're not going to be favored. Uh, we're having that with our investments. For, one, for the longest time, you could not trade China could not trade on our stock market. Well, we opened that up to them last year. What sort of idiots are we now? You know, they're so involved in our everyday living, not just from products we buy, but every other influence they possibly can have in our society. And we are going to become puppets of the communist Chinese unless we realize that they are the enemy. Uh, amen. I, I, I agree with you, but, you know... <laughs> Yes, and they have take, and they have incredible influence at every level. So, the media alone, huge. I mean, most people I think in the United States don't understand the, the fact that a very large portion of our media is completely under the control of a handful of corporations. Right? I mean, you see all these local news outlets and local papers, but you start figuring out who owns them and where that goes, and you realize. Okay, there is a corporation that owns all of these supposedly independent outlets, and all their pr putting out is the party line. So it's the same message transmitted on a thousand different outlets, but it's really only one source of news. And all of those major corporations are 100% in bed with the communist Chinese. So the chance that they are going to push us or even tell people the reality of all of this stuff that we're talking about is like nil. Hunter Biden's story you guys were just talking about is classic example. I mean, good, good Lord. I mean, you know, I've got a copy of the, the hard drive. It, what is it? It is an influence peddling scheme. Hunter's a bag man for a family enterprise that goes all around the world sucking up money. What are they selling? They're selling access to Joe Biden. That's the only thing Hunter Biden has to sell, right? Hunter has no skills. Hunter has no access of his own. He only sells access to dad. And who's the, who are the people that provide more money than anybody else to the Bidens? The, the communist Chinese. Chinese. And many of those yeah. folks are known intelligence officers with direct connections to Xi Jinping. So here you got Chinese intelligence funneling literally tens of millions of dollars to a guy who's now sitting in the Oval Office. If that, if you laid out that case and took the United States out of it and presented it to the intelligence community and said, this is happening in West Africa or Eastern Europe or someplace, what do you think is going on? Within about five seconds, they'd say, uh, I think the Chinese have bought and paid for the president of this country and they're pulling the strings. But because it's in the United States, we have to pretend like we can't see that. We pretend like it's not happening. Pretend like, like that's not a, a mortal danger to, to the country. I mean, because these corporate, I mean, it's not just that Joe Biden doesn't want you to talk about it. He has the, the, the assistance 
of all of these giant corporations that are in bed with the Chinese in also pretending like it's not happening. It's like you're in an episode of The Wizard of Oz as the wizard is inside the machine making it do all these smokes and bells and whistles, and he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Well, that's the Chinese. They're the man behind the curtain, and they're saying, pay no attention to us. Right? Yeah, 100%. Exactly and again, I, at this point, I, 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 you know, I'm always bashing a, a Joe because he's sitting in the Oval Office, and I think uh, he's getting ready to run the country on the rocks. But this is not just a Democratic Party thing, you know. Walk through the list of prominent Republican senators who were up to their eyeballs in Chinese money. Mitch McConnell would be at the top of that list, right? This is all throughout both parties, which goes a long way toward explaining the fact that even as the danger gets greater and greater and greater, they don't want to talk about it. Now, they will talk all day long about the Russians because, relatively speaking, there's very little Russian money. I'm not saying the Russians don't try to buy people. I'm just saying, compared to the Chinese, they don't have any cash anymore. They'll talk all day about the Russian threat, and they don't want to go within 10 miles of talking about the Chinese because, you know, that's like sugar daddy, right? That's, that's where they're getting their bucks. Well, you know, we saw a perfect example of it when Hillary Clinton was running in New York State. Uh, suddenly, there's this area of Chinatown inside Manhattan that where these people barely had two nickels to rub together. Suddenly, we make these large donations to the Hillary Clinton for Senate campaign. Gee, and we wondered where that – and what they do, they pulled out a straw man, put the blame on that one guy – convicted him he disappears off the map Hillary Clinton still gets the money and wins the Senate seat and then runs for president gee and we saw blatantly the Chinese influence on our politics and we still paid no attention to it yeah and 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 the baseline here so folks listening understand is there is no uh, dispute about the fact that Chinese intelligence operates inside the United States. If you go to the FBI website and just read the FBI website, so open source for everybody in the world to look at, they will tell you that the number one counterintelligence threat to the United States is Chinese intelligence. That's, they're, you know, right there on the FBI's website, and they're the number one. They are the counter, the the lead counterintelligence agency in the country. So that's the official position in the United States. Chinese intelligence, number one counterintelligence threat. The fact that they conduct influence operations, in other words, don't just recruit people to give them secrets, but recruit people to then do their bidding and pull strings for them. Also, not a, again, you can go to anywhere online and read all about that, and they have a, a whole program the Chinese do called the United Front that runs mm -hmm. these influence operations. And this, again, as you guys know, is, is well documented. Everybody agrees they're doing this on an industrial scale all across the United States. They do it all over the world, but we're obviously their number one target. Okay, so that's all just agreed upon. That's granite. That's foundation, right? But then anytime we get to a specific case, like, I don't know, the Bidens, who are up to their eyeballs <laughs> in money from the Chinese Communist Party – and known intelligence officers, for some magic reason, like you say, it's the Wizard of Oz. No, no, there's nothing to see. They have, certainly they do this everywhere, but this can't possibly be 
one of those cases. Why? I have no idea. Mitch McConnell I, it can't possibly be one of those cases. Why? I have no idea. Um, Joe Biden left the vice presidency, right? Temporarily became a private citizen, stepped out into the into civilian life, so he no longer was subject to federal reporting requirements for finances. All of a sudden, he reported uh, in one year, I don't remember how many millions of dollars, but he reported income in one year 16 times what he had made, or at more than he had made in the previous 16 years combined. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars literally appeared out of nowhere, and the only source listed were two paper corporations, one owned by him and one owned by Jill. These are just pieces of paper That's not, that, that don't conduct any business. It doesn't answer the question, Joe, you gave yourself $10 million from your own corporation. Where would that money come from? He's never provided an explanation for how miraculously money began to rain from heaven into his private accounts during this interval when he was no longer in federal office. And again, the media has never asked him. Like, at one point somebody suggested it was because he wrote a book and he got book revenues. Like, nobody bought the book, Joe. And you would have had to sell more <laughs> copies of the book than any author in American history to make that amount of money. That's absurd. Don't, don't treat me like an idiot. Where'd the money come from, Joe? How did you suddenly come into vast sums of money from nowhere? Nobody well, I'll tell you, the answer obvious. i tell you what. If you were a lowly-level um, government employee that had a security clearance – and you made like twenty eight thousand a year, and all of a sudden you're living in a five hundred thousand dollar home, driving a Lamborghini. I bet the FBI would investigate you real quick in a hurry, and you would lose your security <laughs> clearance and be put in jail after an investigation. <laughs> Absolutely, without any question, you would be. You would have people outside your house in a heartbeat. Your accounts would be locked down. Your security clearance would be gone. They'd be like, I'm sorry, we need to have a very long, intense conversation about who exactly it is that is funneling millions of dollars of non-attributable funds into your bank account, buddy. But, I mean, let's face it. Joe Biden couldn't get a security clearance to work on the loading dock at CIA or anywhere else. I mean, he's just up to – literally up to his eyeballs. At one point, you know, I mean – Literally, we know not only that Hunter was in contact with Chinese intelligence officials, but we know that Xi Jinping himself, the man, the ruler of all of China, sanctioned those contacts. So we're, not, we're supposed to think that these are just innocent business deals? I mean, come on. It's just hmm? it's well, Sam, we, we, can, we can talk about China for hours. Don't get me started on TikTok. <laughs> But you know, here, if you really want to scare the crap out of people listening, let's take a look at Title 42 the, the, that was put in place by uh, President Trump and that was rescinded on the very first day by President Biden. But when we say, all right, fine, this is dealing with a border issue that just blossomed recently. No, it didn't. Because I reference back to, and I wish I could find the magazine article, to the uh, 1990s, I don't remember if it was Time or Newsweek, they had a major article about um, OTMs, other than Mexicans, crossing 
our southern border. And at that time, they were saying that the signs for immigrants crossing over weren't just written in Spanish, but they were written in Chinese. Oh, wait a minute. Why are we worrying about Chinese coming over the southern border in the 1990s? Oh, wait a minute, the rise of the cartels in Mexico and Central and South America. Now, who's in bed with the cartels besides Hezbollah? But the Chinese. And who's supplying the chemicals to make the fentanyl that's coming over the border? The Chinese. The chemicals coming over the border, they're manufacturing here in the United States by the cartels and the cartels' associates, but it's all provided by the Chinese. So they have a long game plan in place. This is not something that's been happening, oh, the last administration. This has been happening for decades and possibly even longer. Am I looking at this wrong or right, Sam? No, I think, I think you're, uh, you're dead on. And honestly, anytime we start talking about the border, I get kind of sick to my stomach because I just find it the whole thing obscene, right? We, we have effectively erased our southern border and, and we don't care about apparently any of the, the impact on the United States. I mean, either it is deliberate malfeasance or it's the most grotesque incompetence in history. You can take your pick. I mean, just look at fentanyl, right? Over 100,000 people dead from fentanyl in, in one year. At one point in West Baltimore, I know, they had so many deaths from fentanyl. The morgues were overflowing. They had to bring in commercial coolers uh, and put them in parking garages to stack bodies of uh, mostly young men from West Baltimore being killed from fentanyl. Right? You just kill an I mean, un- un- unbelievable body count in, a, in American cities. And actually, obviously, it's gone way beyond the cities now. And we have done absolutely nothing to regain control. I mean, I, I, I said earlier, I used to be head of, you know, CIA's Weapons of Mass Destruction Terrorism Unit. I've been asked several times recently, what could come across that border given the way it is now? And my answer is anything. What, what would stop anything from coming across that border? Nuclear weapons, chemical weapons, armed insurgents, a nuclear weapon. I mean, there's there is no border anymore, right? And the cartels, and on the other side of it, it's not Mexico. It's really a series of narco kingdoms. So we, <laughs> we're butted up against areas under the control of ultra-violent guys that will do anything that use ultra-violence as a tool of the trade. And we don't have any mechanism for controlling their capacity to move anything they want into the United States. And as you said, the Chinese are completely in bed with them. So that's that's a massive national security threat. We wrote in the end the other day about the fact they had a bunch of these aerostats along the border, these blimps up about 3,000 feet with radar systems and night vision systems and cameras that basically give you an eye in the sky to be able to monitor the border. We're taking them down now. We're down to four for the whole border, and we're going to take those down, I think. You know what the reason is? The reason is we don't have the money to operate them. So... Maybe, I don't know, the Ukrainians can float us alone or something because we're, we're busy removing what little observation we have at the border. Uh, it's, it's scary. It is scary, and it's in our backyard now because once they cross the border, they can go anywhere within the United States. So every single state is a border emergency state. 
Sam, it is so much fun having you here. Definitely have to have you back more often. People can get your magazine, Ann Magazine, and in the description, people can just click on it where it says Ann Magazine and go straight there, subscribe, and get it in their inbox daily. You do great work, Sam, and we'll be talking with you soon. Thank you, guys. All All right. right. Sam, Sam Faddis. Please check him out at Substack with And Magazine. And we got our final guest in for the day, my Uncle Ted, former Congressman Ted Yoho. Good afternoon, Ted. How are you today? I'm doing great, Annie uh, and Curtis. I'm glad to see hey. you back on the air. And uh, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is our me. second time back. We've still got little glitches we're still working out, still working on the new program. So Curtis and I are going to have to knuckle down and get it all <laughs> all ironed out. Uh, but we were just talking with Sam Faddis about uh, the border. And one of the first things I have up on my list to talk to you about is um, Kevin McCarthy is having one heck of a hard time trying to get a border security bill passed. The Republicans are split on this, and they can't get it out of the House. They've had to abandon it. Is Kevin McCarthy really the right guy to be Speaker of the House at this point where he can't even get this one bill that's so pivotal to our nation, border security, out of the House? My personal opinion is no, he's not. He's the one we have, though, and he's the one that they're going to have to work with. Uh, I, I weighed in on that pretty heavily and written, had written articles on that. Um, what Kevin has to do now is... You know, I heard him talk about having hearings down at the border, doing all these other things. A lot of it is just a a dog and pony show. What they need to do is they need to have action. And um, what we've seen over the last two years is actually uh, since Donald Trump, there is not the backbone to shut the border down. What we need to do is we need to have action, and if Congress can't do it, I hate to say this, and this may scare some people, but the American people need to be down there. You know, we had the Minutemen at one point, and um, your last guest, your last guest, Sam uh, Fadis, um, it's not just our southern border. It's our northern border. You know, we're in the state of Florida. I know firsthand the Coast Guard has picked up over 3,000 people last, no, two months ago, uh, coming in through our, our waterways uh, from Cuba, from Haiti, and other way, other areas. And this is something, it's, it's not um, a humanitarian Migration. This is an invasion of our country, and Sam was so right. There is no checks and balances on what comes across that border, and it's been proven over and over again. And it, it's a dereliction of duty, and it's it's by design that the, the oh I'm going to call them the old Biden administration is allowing happen on our southern on all of our borders. You know, there's so much that's coming over between human trafficking, uh, drug smuggling. Uh, weapons smuggling, but heaven forbid an American crosses over from the United States into Mexico and forgot that they had exactly. a legally owned firearm uh, that they accidentally crossed the border with, so now it becomes illegal. And they'll spend months or years in a Mexican prison, but here we've got a revolving door justice. No sooner do they come across the border illegally, they're processed, given a slap on the hand, told to show up in a court date, oh, say five years down the road, and disappear into the fabric of the United States, never to be heard from by the legal justice system. It, You're absolutely there is no right. Justice system. Well, there is. It's just not being utilized. It's not being run. And again, that's a dereliction of duty. When I was in Congress, 
uh, we had pretty strong hearings on this, and um, I was a member of the uh, the Border Caucus that really delved into this. Andy Biggs was the chairman of that. He still may be. And um, what we saw was the people that came in that was supposed to go through the adjudication process, uh, they get apprehended, they get a court date. Of those people that had a court date, and this was back probably five, four years ago, less than 4% of those people ever showed up for the court date. So 100 people come in, less than four people show up for the court date. That means there's 97 plus people in this country, 96 to 94 people per 100 that are in this country illegally and never showed up for a court date. And the ones that did show up for the court date usually didn't get deported. And this is, you know, our government is supposed to provide us with a Republican form of government. But when you have a breakdown of the rule of law, you don't have um, uh, a Republican form of government. And um, you're well aware, and Curtis, too, is the the breakdown of trust in government has been eroded to the lowest point I've ever seen in my life. And I'll be 68 next month. You know, it's as if we don't have, as you said, a Republican form of government. We now have a tyranny, tyranny that's being run by bureaucrats, because most of these mm-hmm. people that are making these decisions are not even elected officials, but pencil pushers in some back office cubicle laughing their butts off, the same way Fauci did, uh, at the, the gullibility and the ability to manipulate the American people to their will. No, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, Congress over the last 75 to 100 years has allowed the administrative state to get so large where they can write a rule like the EPA or the Department of Labor. They can write a rule. They can enforce the rule. They can collect, set the fine for the rule. They can collect the, the fine, and then they keep that money in-house. And so they become these these little fiefdoms uh, under the ruling, um, under the uh, – auspices of the commander-in-chief, who right now is, you know, he's probably the most anti-American besides Obama that we've ever had in this country. Um, they wanted to fundamentally changing, change this country, and, you know, they're doing it, and they're doing it right in front of us. And um, Congress will have another hearing, and out of that hearing, they'll find this information, but nothing will change, and, you know, two years will go by. And there needs to be action, and, you know, um, there are several things that could be done. Um, but having another hearing, I don't believe, is the answer to it. You know, and you're talking about having hearings and no action. We had the January 6th hearings, saw no action. We still have people imprisoned illegally because they haven't even had a court date. Some of them are not being allowed their lawyers or much less a family visit. Um this this has been going on for two solid years, these January 6th prisoners. And no one's talking about it. No one's helping these men and women that are being uh, penalized because they were supporters of Trump and rightly or wrongly entered into the Capitol. Uh, what happened to, you know, swift justice, you know, seeing in a well, timely swift justice, fashion? The Fourth Amendment, you know, um, all that stuff, I mean, it comes into play. And, 
you know, we've got a broken broken system, and I don't know how much longer the wills will stay on the bus. You know, if you just even if you just looked at our financial side, um, <laughs> it's not healthy. And then you look at what this administration is doing with uh, executive orders. The whole idea of doing uh, away with student loan, uh, making people pay those back. You know, he wanted to do that. The Supreme Court hopefully will rule favorably. I haven't heard if they've ruled on that. Have you? Not not at this point. Um, unfortunately, I haven't heard anything. But what, well, what rest assured, they won't give is, up on that. No, but, but I took out a loan when I bought into my first business back in 1940. Uh, Way back then, <laughs> I had to I had to sign a legal document saying I'm borrowing this money from the bank to purchase this business. But you, if you take out a student loan, you have to do the same thing. The document will have very similar clauses, but you are obligating yourself in a legally binding contract to repay that repay that financial institution the money you're using to attend school. And I don't see how you can break that contract because then you, I don't you break that contract that with the student laws. You, you break all binding contractor law. So what contract in the United States would ever remain binding at this point? Well, and that's when you get start getting a breakdown of the, the legal system. And, you know, it, it gets where those contracts, they don't mean anything. So why why even – you know, try to follow the rule of law. And I think we're seeing more and more of that in our country. You know, people are like, you know, what are they going to do about it? They're not going to do anything about it. And, you know, you see, I don't know if you've been following what's going on up there in Washington, D.C., about their uh, district attorney who wants to minimize carjacking um, and no mandatory jail time or anything like that. And there's been several members of Congress that have been carjacked up there. And, um you know, the district attorney up there is just saying, oh, it's it's just not fair. You can't do that. You can't you can't hold these people in prison and fine them because they don't have the money. But yet, if you let them out, you're just creating more of that. And uh, the insanity that we're seeing, it, there's going to be a price to pay for that. And unfortunately, people are paying that price right now. You know you what know, I think I is, let... is, I think that oh, I'm um, sorry. this is being purposely um, done the breakdown in, um, of our, our system in an effort so they can have an excuse to to rebuild it the way they want to. So You're they attack absolutely our right. institutions. They attack our, our justice system. They dilute every law in the books and off the books. And um, it's, just a, it's just another scheme of theirs. It is. And, again, it goes to the fundamental transformation of America and I can, Curtis, you just hit the nail on the head. They want to break the system and rebuild it. Uh, Tlaib or uh, Rashid Tlaib has said that. Elon Omar has said that. Uh, my former colleague from New York has said that. Uh, they want to destroy America because they see America is the the problem in the world. And they want to rebuild it. Unfortunately, they want to rebuild it into this uh utopia that they paint a picture of of uh, of this socialist uh nation but the reality is it'll be the socialism and the autocratic rule of venezuela or cuba or any other of those countries and they want to do that here in america and why the american people 
are allowing this is beyond me because Curtis, you and I have talked extensively on this, and there there comes a time where the rhetoric needs to stop and there needs to be action. And I'm certainly not advocating violence, but at some point we need to tell these elected leaders at the town halls that they have uh, or the teletown halls and just show up and say, this needs to end and it needs to end now. Um, whether we stop paying our taxes to the federal government and get an offshore escrow account so we'll pay our taxes, but we're not paying them until you, until you follow the law. Or, you know, I don't know what will, will get their attention. Uh, if you do it violently, they'll call martial law and uh, the Constitution is suspended. And uh, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, you know, hopefully this next election, um, you get somebody like a DeSantis that won't put up with the nonsense and then we just say we're not going to participate in ESG, wokeism, all this other stuff that you're throwing at us, we're not going to do that. We're going to have secure borders, and uh, let's hope that day comes quickly. Well, I was starting to say that there are some changes coming in because recently New York City Mayor Eric Adams made an amazing and astounding statement that uh, when we took prayer (laughs) out of schools, we allowed more guns into our society. Well, I don't know if, it's what, if it allowed more guns, but it allowed the lack of morality to be taught right. to our, our, our youth. Um, it taught them that, hey, listen, rules don't apply. It doesn't mean increased guns in our society. They never said whether or not they were good guns or bad guns, but then again, guns can't be good or bad. It's the person that pulls the trigger. Uh, right. But it changed the moral fabric of our nation bit by bit. It started to chip away, and that was the first chip of it. And now we no longer even have the Pledge of Allegiance. So once they've chipped away at that moral fabric, they then do, began to destroy us. So his answer is bring prayer back. Well, that's a good start. But I think yeah, the American is. people, especially our youth, feel there's something missing because now there's no moral value. There's no moral compass. The adults in the room are acting like the children instead of leading with a good moral fiber. And we saw that in the university over Asbury, Asbury University in Kentucky, with this revival. The right, youth are right. finally figuring out there has to be a higher answer. There has to be a moral compass, a guidance. And I think our nation is beginning to cry out for that because you see now the rise of DeSantis in Florida revoking the self-governing district for Walt Disney. And people are cheering that on. And I think, I think the tide is going to start to turn, and maybe this election will be the pivotal point. I don't know. Are, are you sensing this? Yeah, I'm sensing it here in Florida, and um, I think Curtis is too. Uh, I don't want to speak for Curtis, but we see it here. We see it around. I'm, I'm, where I used to see Trump 2024 flags, I'm seeing DeSantis 2024 um, just listening to, to the governor in the last few interviews he's done, the book he wrote, I mean, he start, he's talking about a national policy instead of just a state policy. So he's mixing that in there. And we need a clear, articulated vision um, of where this nation will be 50 years from now. And we've not had anybody do that, but I see Governor Ron is starting to do that. And, uh, you know, he and I came into Congress together, and I applaud him for what he's doing. And if he can do what he's done to Florida with the rest of the nation and have the legislatures in office to back him up 
instead of these uh, uh, jelly backbone politicians that are worried about their next election. They're not worried about results or, or concerned with results. If he can get that in there, um, we can make a big difference in this country in a little, in a little short period of time. Well, we're seeing people like uh, Senator Joe Manchin now, a registered right. Democrat, but siding now more and more with Republicans. Uh, you mentioned ESGs, this new regulation that Biden's trying to put in there about companies being more woke, uh, right. trying to do the same thing China has been doing to their people, finding a way to control the people by controlling how they think and act and react. And if you're not one of the woke people, then you're not going to get that bank loan. You're not going to be able to buy that house or that car. Or you may not even be able to rent your home that you want because you're not woke enough for the neighborhood. And this is, this is where we're seeing society starting to fight back. Well, they are, and Annie, you just—I mean—you just brought up something very important: ESG, environmental social governance. You've got to be aligned with whoever decided what those metrics were. And I'll challenge anybody: is if your representative in Congress ever voted on putting in ESG in any program in the United States of America or any corporation, this was not something that was voted on in Congress. This, again, is the administrative states working with um, outside organizations like the World Economic Forum, headed by Klaus Schwab, uh, Larry Fink of BlackRock uh, Financials, uh, um, Jamie Dimon of the banking industry. They're pushing this ESG in these corporations, and they, they've got a uh, um, just a straw man in the White House that will do whatever they tell them to do, and that's why you start seeing it. You know, um, um, the the new ESG um, department in the government for equity. Um, nobody's voted on this. The American taxpayers didn't vote on this, but it's going to affect them and generations to come. This is the kind of stuff that we need a new president with the legislative body that can support it to start throwing this stuff out and make it illegal to push stuff on the American people that they didn't have their representatives vote on because that's how you hold people accountable. If the representative voted for that, you don't like it. Enough people don't like it, they'll throw the bum out. Yeah, there's a lot of bums that need to be thrown out. You know, uh, the wokeness has gone to the point where even in our banking system now, you're finding you're banks are right. making decisions yeah. on whether or not you can open up an account or whether or not you can even keep your money there much less whether or not you can get a credit card through them or any other sort of a loan. It's in in our economic system now. And I, I got upset. I went into for a doctor visit, and they had me fill out this long form asking all these crazy, crazy questions. And it started asking me about, do I ever have thoughts of harming myself? Well, I'm here... Uh, for something completely different, not for mental health. What, I, this question has nothing to do with why I'm here. And then I get to the point where it asks if there are any firearms in the house. And then I went from, oh, no, I'm not answering that, to, oh, hell no, I am not answering that question because it's none of your damn business. You know, You're I'm absolutely here for, right. You know, I'm here for, yeah. I don't know, a feminine problem. That's not here <laughs> for a mental illness. It has 
but it has become so pervasive, the wokeness in our society, and somewhere along the way, we've got to pull it back and get some sanity going on. Well, you know, we do, and we've got to do it. We, the people, have to do it. You're talking about the bums in Congress. There's plenty of them up there. Um, when Kevin McCarthy was running for the speaker and, you know, we had the five days of theatrics up there, um, I had a member that I served with call me. And he and I, were, we were cordial people, but we weren't really, you know, close. We weren't in the, each other's circle. Well, he called me up and wanted to know if I could help influence uh, Representative Luna from Florida to change her vote against McCarthy. And then he caught himself and he goes, well, I guess before I ask you that, Ted, I, I would have to ask you where you stand with Kevin. And I says, well, I won't tell you the person's name, but I said, if I were there, I would not support Kevin for these reasons. And I went on trustworthiness. You know, there's a bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, he worked at members of his own party to get him thrown out and replaced with uh, um, a rhino. And this person, this congressman that's been there, let's see, he's on his fourth term. He agreed with me on everything I said. He goes, Ted, I hear you. I hear the same thing from a lot of members about Kevin. They don't trust him. He lies. He does this. And and um, he goes, but I, I'm going to support him. And I'm like, why are you going to support a guy that you know where he stands and what he can't do or what he will do? And, you know, you're just you're part of the problem. If you're not going to be willing to stand and with, side with the people from the the Freedom Caucus, you know, and if you don't like the people they nominated, put another name in there. And, um, you know, that's what's wrong with Washington. This guy knew everything I said was true, but yet he wasn't going to go against the grain because it might affect his, his uh, committee assignment. But that place needs to be shaken up and turned upside down. And the people that have the grit to hang on, they're the ones we need to work with. And if they can't do it, they need to be thrown out the next term. And that's true. So many, so many people we send up there to represent the people, and they end up turning out to represent their own interests. And they don't they sure really do. want to make they don't want to make waves because they want to, to be, you know, made chairman of this committee and that committee or whatever. You know, get you know yeah. um, free access to the White House, you know, or whatever. So we you know, we, we have to vet, vet our people better, I believe. We really do, and it comes down to ignorance, and it's not ignorance in a bad way. It's People don't understand how broken that system is. Carolyn and I, my wife, were driving back from somewhere, and uh, we were on a conference call, and there were senators and Republicans on there, and it was coming up on the, my last budget vote up there. And um, somebody goes, uh, uh, the question was asked, well, how's Senator so-and-so going to vote on that? They said, are you kidding he hadn't even seen the bill yet. And, um, you know, my wife goes, if people only knew how screwed up Congress would, they'd go out of their mind. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's a broken system because they're not focusing on the major things. The major things are our debt, our borders, China, our educational system, and national security. Actually, national security is the number one task of the federal government. And they're doing a terrible job on that. And we look at it, I've been reading the articles recently that um, a lot of the military 
that had left because they refused to take the jab. The military is so down in recruiting. They're so badly right. in need of bodies that they're actually turning around and saying, well, you can come on back and you don't have to take the jab. Right. Well, in the Coast Guard, I know for a fact that they were recruiting chefs and paying a $50,000 bonus, a sign-on bonus. And you had to serve for four years, I think it was, but $50,000 enticement to come into the military because their numbers are so far down. And, um, you know, that's the situation today. Think of where the situation will be two to three years when we don't have a trained military that's staffed. Um, it's a scary sight. And, of course, you know who's watching that, right? China. Oh, yeah. North China Korea. And Russia. Iran. Yeah. Russia. Venezuela. Right. Cuba. You know, and uh, there's a lot. And that's one of the reasons you're seeing Japan um, beef up their military. They're going to, with all said and done, they'll be close to a 2% bump in their military spending. And they're moving from a defensive posture since World War II. They, all they could do is have a, a defensive posture, uh, and they dismantled their military manufacturing uh, capabilities. Now their um, uh, counter-strike is their mandate. Counter-strike, and they're uh, talking about first-strike capabilities. And part of that reason is, number one, is what China is doing in the South China Sea, uh, what North Korea is doing, and what Russia did. And then they look at America, and they don't. They realize they can't rely on us to live up to the treaties that we've signed, where uh, we help protect them. Even though we have, I think it's forty thousand Marines on on the island. I think that number may be wrong, but it's, you know, we've been there since World War II. But they realize they cannot depend on America anymore, and that's what happens when no. you you lose that leadership that we had, and it's from. Uh, like your previous caller, Sam, said, it's by design. I mean, if these people were this incompetent, they should be thrown out. If they were in a business, they would have been fired. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, t- nowadays you'd have to give them a hug before you fire them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all they had to do was look at the fall of Cabal in uh, Pakistan. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. Afghanistan. Um, they just see that yeah. and say, well, they have no will to fight. Now we're seeing the Taliban and other radical Islamists showing up around the world with our military hardware we left behind. How many billions of dollars was it we left behind? Well, thank you, taxpayers. Remember that number when you file your IRS you know, claim on uh, August 15th, which brings me around yeah. to we should make election day no longer the first Tuesday of November. should make it the day after you pay your federal taxes. On April 16th, that's a great idea. Election day. So after you finish shaking from signing that check over to Uncle Sam, the next day go vote and think about how you're voting and where your money just went. Yeah, um, you know, and it's people get distracted by so many things in today's world, and then you have the one-minute sound bites or the thirty-second sound bites, and the politicians will do their hearing and they'll have a 30 second or a minute sound bite that they put out there and ask you to send in money because we're fighting hard for you. And I'm like, that's ah, a little bit of BS there. And actually it's a lot of BS. Um, you know, if you're fighting hard for me, 
we're going to see these problems starting to be resolved. And I know you can't do it by yourself, and you've got to build that consensus. But it can be done a lot better than what we're seeing. It has to yeah. be done a lot better. Um, man, this is so much more to talk about. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know where to keep on going from here. There's this. <laughs> well, how's Curtis doing? How's his back doing? Well, Curtis back- is not paralyzed. <laughs> I broke my neck. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. right. Was your neck? Well, praise God, you're doing all right, yeah, yeah. buddy. Yeah, yeah, I got cleared. I got cleared well, last good. Friday yeah. from the uh, neurosurgeon. And as I, I told the um, show earlier, I am now relieved from the sick, lame, and lazy roster. Miss Carolyn, going to have you out there doing chores again. Duty. Yeah. Well, matter of fact, I was in um, Orlando last night, and that's probably why I'm a little hoarse now, because the last two weeks I've been um, heading out to do book signings and um, keynote speaker events. So I haven't stopped. Well, I tell you what, we need to get your information out there. I'm going to do a plug for you if you don't mind any of that. Um, Truth in the Democratic Party that you wrote, people need to understand the Democratic Party, which we wished it was the Democratic Party of old, but it's the Marxist Party of new. And, um, you know, it's an anti-American. Uh, you know, Annie, if you go back to Clower uh, and Pivens or Pivens and Clower and Saul Alinsky, yeah. their whole thing was to collapse America. And look who was some of their yeah. students. It was Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. And... Um, yeah. The Cass Sunsteins and these people are in power now and are influenced, and um, they're they're marching ahead, and we sit back and of course if you say anything against the administration you're an enemy of the state and uh, you know they're in a sweet spot they're where they kind of want to be and uh, they're gonna do what they can to continue the fundamental transformation of America into that socialist state and someday somebody will wake up and say how did this happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the name of that book is um, Truth Versus the Democrat Party. And right. Good it, book. I mean, I, I sell out everywhere I go with that book because there's uh, no one, no distributor who wants to um, get involved with it. It's been banned by well over 12 different um, online distributors. So, you know. As the story That's is the about same. a lawsuit, you know, I'm going to hook up with uh, some legal um, um, constitutionalist lawyers right. and they're, fight back. They're blocking your free mm. speech. And, um, well, Annie, you were talking earlier about the banking system. I, I had a call this morning, and a gentleman said he tried to wire $25,000 and thought it was done. He went to his bank and... He had to send it to somebody else, and the guy calls him up and wanted to know where the money was. He goes, well, I wired that like four days ago, and he calls his bank. And the bank said, well, there's a new regulation out there that anything over $25,000 has got to be held up for X amount of days. He said, but if I would have done $24,999, it would have been fine. And, you know, these things happen. You're not aware of it. And... Um, these are changes that are happening through the big banks. And, um, you know, God forbid if we ever go to just a cryptocurrency because they can turn that switch on and off on your account and freeze you. That's yeah, right. absolutely. And that's what you know, they I, aim to I had a Jew with, 
Yeah, I had to do a large transfer just a couple of years ago, and I had to call my bank and let them know that this was being done, and they actually held it up for 24 hours, despite the fact I called them and said, really? it's coming from XYZ, it was because of this had financial transaction occurred, this is the remainder of the transaction being transferred back into the account. Yeah, and even then, you know, a bank that I've been doing business with for more than 10 years. And the banking system is another way in which to police us here. Our actions, our decisions, our social and political preferences, uh, and that's what they're doing. Um, Just back in this past January 20th, it was the National March for Life. And Mm -hmm. policing individuals has gotten so bad that a group of students entered the National Archives. And they were wearing pro-life T-shirts and hats. The security staff there told the students and those accompanying them that had any of this pro-life stuff on their person, they had to cover it up or remove it or they could not enter the National Archives just steps away from the original Bill of Rights, which includes speech. I hope your listeners are taking this to heart that what you're saying is truth and it's happening here in America today, right now. And uh, it's a scary thing. It really is a scary thing that you're talking about. I tell you, you're talking about the banking again. Uh, probably one of the best movies I know about that is that Enemy of the State with uh, Will Smith and Gene Hackman. You know, to see uh, what Will Smith went through when the government went after him and just... Oh, yeah cut your credit cards off, cut your your bank off, and they, they tracked you. And, and, of course, they do that today. And um, you get the wrong people in charge, in power, your Fauci's, your Merrick Garland's, your Biden's, your Christopher Ray and the FBI. Um, they can control every move you make. We are where we never wanted to be. We are, we are in the 1984 uh, if we don't change course. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, we got, we are at in Atlas Shrugged. Ayn Rand predicted yeah, the very, very thing in Atlas Shrugged back in the 1950s. And that's a book I, I urge everyone to read. Even though she goes about 10 pages on just describing one person's dress, you just go past that. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, what a, what a foresight she had of where we we're going. Of course, she grew up in, did she grow up in Russia? Was, is that where she was from, Ayn Rand? I believe it was. It was one of the, was. the Eastern Bloc countries. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, yeah. and um, is, is it true, though, that, uh, well, I heard a couple of years ago, if you had $600 or or or, yeah. or more in your account, the government wants to know, um, you know, why you got more than that, something like that. No, is it that, was a transaction. If you had a transaction... <laughs> yeah. Um, if I paid somebody $600 or more, it had to be reported at the bank. So yeah. if you made a $600 deposit, none of um, their business. you had to be able to justify that. I mean, yeah. that that is so un-American. No, yeah. just, just go one step beyond that, Ted. And this started a long time ago, and people fall for it. And I used to walk around with the, all this keychain full of these little discount tags. Well, what people don't realize (laughs) is that when you scan that barcode to get your discount and your 10 cents off your 
jar of uh, jelly, whatever it is you're doing, it also records everything you buy. So if you yeah. buy like a six-pack of beer or some wine, they record it. It goes to a marketing company. Now, this can be subpoenaed because, heaven forbid, you fall and slip in the parking lot of that same grocery store and decide to sue them. They're going to go back and say, well, you just bought X amount of wine. How do we know you weren't drunk? This is actually <laughs> too many candy bars and had a sugar high. <laughs> this, this actual court cases, it occurred, I think it was more than 10 years ago. And I remembered really? reading that, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, every time you key in one of those things to get your discount off of something, then if you're going to ring up beer or wine, make it a separate transaction. Wow. And also, folks, pay cash, because then they can also track that transaction through your credit card, your debit card, or whatever card you're using. Pay cash, because then when you do sue them, they can't use that against you. They track us everywhere you go because Big Brother is already watching. Perfect example, the Alex Murdoch murder trial just concluded yesterday. He was sentenced to two life sentences today by the judge. And one of the things they did, they tracked him not only just through the GPS tracking on his cell phone, but the OnStar tracking in his car, as well as that little black box that tells you how fast you're going and whether or not you're going through a speed zone. Yeah. Big Brother is now constantly watching you 24-7, folks. So Not only them, this is now that you reality. brought that up, a f- good friend of ours got new insurance. She's my age. She's 68, her and her husband. And the insurance company said, well, if you'll submit to um, let us read your black box, which tells them where they go, how fast they go, that they'll oh, get a, like a 30%. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, you get a, a 30% discount, but they know everything you did. And God forbid you went to ABC Liquors, or well, I shouldn't say a name, but you go to a, a liquor store and somebody hits you and they say, oh, you bought this and this, and you must be at fault. Um, uh, it is scary where we're heading. Or the insurance company will yeah. just decline. So, well, no, it wasn't. You, you were impaired. You must have been impaired because you left this store. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and now you have the Alexa or all those little things you talk into. Um, and true story, when when I was a guest of um, Mark Sanford and Trump's inauguration, I went down to uh-huh. D.C. with the, one of his aides, and the apartment we rented uh, had one of those Alexa voice things. And, of course, we're chatting yeah. and chatting, and you see the light flashing on the little Alexa. It's recording sure. everything you're saying. And it's not just on your TV, it's on your phone, it's on your appliances. Right. So everywhere you go. Now, you you have your grocery list, you want to make sure you got everything you need. You look at your refrigerator, refrigerator lights up and tells you, hey, you're missing here. These smart devices are now Big Brother. They are. I mean, look at what they did with um, the Twitter files and all that uh, Um premise that newspaper that uh, newsletter comes out from hillsdale just had a great thing on the uh administrative state or the uh the the twitter files and uh how dangerous they said it was an existential threat you're talking about alexis my daughter's got one and i don't have one of those nor do i want one but uh, you know i thought i'd play around with it and we were talking politics and i said alexis are you a communist and she goes yes i am 
And I try to get it to repeat that, but it would not. It, it came back saying I'm apolitical, but the first time I asked it, it said yes, I am. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Well, it was that, pretty funny and funny. scary at the same time. Yeah. Because then, but it, um, it controls. You, you ask it for something, it controls the answer. So it actually oh, controls yeah. your action and reaction based upon whether or not you follow its direction. That's scarier. Yeah. So the only thing yeah. that keeps us going is I, go ahead, Curtis. Oh, go ahead and finish your statement. Well, just, we live in the greatest country on the yeah. nation of, uh, on the planet of the earth, and I just finished a book. It was called "The Miracle of Freedom: The Seven Tipping Points That Changed the World." It was written by a colleague of mine in Congress, Chris Stewart. He's a uh, bestseller. And in this book, it was amazing because it says that in recorded in, in the estimate of how many people have lived on the planet, it was four point no, there was a hundred billion people that lived on the planet since the beginning of mankind. A hundred billion people, but yet less than four point five percent of those people have ever lived in freedom, and eighty percent of those are alive today. Freedom is a very rare thing, and we take it for granted in this country because that's what we've had since, um, you know, the the beginning, I guess, you know, after the Revolutionary yeah, War. And and people don't realize how rare freedom is in the world, and yet we're we're teetering on losing it in this country. And if we lose it in this country, it's going to be lost everywhere else. Yeah, yeah just, exactly. Just, just just think of the. 80 million unborn babies that have been aborted. They never even had a chance at freedom. Yeah. But what I was going to ask you is, um, what are your thoughts on um, this balloon gate, this um, espionage um, by low tech that happened a couple of weeks ago? Um, I got a lot of thoughts on that. One is it was a a dereliction of duty of our our administration and the military to allow it to uh, cross over America. Um, regardless if it was going over sensitive information areas or not. I guarantee you if you flew a balloon or a plane over or over uh, China, it would have been shot down. So I think it was a spy balloon. I think it was a test case to see what the will and the response of Americans would be. And who knows, maybe the next one will have a uh, um, some kind of device that could spread bioweapons, uh, you know, the next pandemic, or it could have a... Uh, a nuclear device in there that would set off uh, an EMP. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things. The number one task of our government is national security, and that was a severe national security risk as our borders are and the fentanyl coming in. And uh, we got the wrong people in the wrong positions for too long. Well, you know, what's scary about that, there was reports from the Air Force that the pilots were saying that they saw, they could physically see the object, whether it's a balloon or a drone or whatever it was, uh, but a lot of them had looked like strings hanging down, which could have possibly been sensors, but they gave off no heat signature. Uh, They gave off no signature to be picked up by radar or any standard Mm -hmm. uh, electromagnetic or whatever you want to call it, detecting devices that we have. It could only be spotted by the eye, which is even scarier because if we know about these four that violated our airspace, what ones have we not detected because we rely on certain technology, such as radar, 
to detect these objects. But if they give off no heat signature, no mechanical signature, uh, how do we know? How do we know? And China has we already know. said, well, they're vulnerable here. So now, our secure, national security has to rethink how do you detect these. And with the rise of personally owned drones by the American people, it makes it even harder. So we've got, we've got to find a way to get our security balanced and make our nation more Well, we do, and, more, and, more and the government should be doing that. And, you know, yeah, I want, Hunter, I want Hunter Biden investigated, but on my top ten list, he's not, he's not in it. Uh, I want people held no, accountable. You know, I want I want our national security. I want the debt the the debt situation we have on this country. I want the border secure. And you know they're not they're not they should spend all their time on that uh, instead of having hearings on some of the stuff that'll never amount to it. I was there for eight years, and we had a lot of hearings, and uh, very little comes out of those hearings. Uh, you'll get some information, but as far as the action tied to that, um, you know, to me it was a waste of time. If you're not going to follow through with it, don't do it. No, but we have to be green. We now have to all go into these electric cars, which comes to another national security problem, a major one, which is another way in which to control the American people, is our power grid. At this yeah. point in time, the push for electric cars all right, we can we can support it now with the number of cars we have. But what they want by 2030 and 2035 is impossible. Our grid cannot handle it. And I'm sorry, there's nothing green about these vehicles because you still need to produce petrochemicals to produce these vehicles. There's not a single part of that car that does not involve a petrochemical in one shape or form. Uh, so You're right. What, now... They want to unite the power grids across the nation. Now, if they knock down with one EMP fired over, they can knock out the entire power grid of the entire nation. We see blackouts, yeah, that, rolling brownouts in California right now. And wait a minute, how many people are going to lose their lives because they rely on the electric power for, oh, maybe oxygen or ventilators, or how many people will not be able to get their medications because they have to be refrigerated and cannot be preserved, such as insulin? There will be right. millions of people that will die if our power grid goes down. And the Chinese know that. There's some great that. books written about that. Ted Koppel's got yeah, one. Okay. It was called One Second After, I think. And I think the predictions, and I've read this in multiple accounts and MIT studies, that if a major EMP, whether natural, like a solar flare or whatever, or, you know, nefarious with um, a nuclear weapon, were to come in and knock out power grids in, like, the west coast, uh, middle of the country, uh, and then the east coast, in the, the strategic populated areas, they estimate that 90% of Americans would die in a year. You look mm -hmm. at the, the, the medical people, like you were just talking about, that need refrigerated insulin or oxygen. But look at the millennials and younger that don't know how to function without an Internet. You know, they couldn't make their way around the, the block if they couldn't put on Google Maps. All that goes away. And uh, we have set ourselves up and painted us to where let's hope it never happens. Uh, but it would be easier and easier to happen. And, you know, that may have been one of the missions behind the, the Chinese spy balloon. 
you know, can we get close to their nuclear or to their power grids? Um, do a Chernobyl attack on a power grid with a nuclear weapon by one of our nuclear reactors. That shuts down a whole region. And um, it's an ugly picture, and I don't want to paint it all doom and gloom because I still believe this is the greatest country on earth. And we've got a constitution, and we just need to fight for the rights that we have and believe in God, country, and family and the greatness of America and uh, elect the people that are going to lead us here, if not become that person, and run for office. Right. What we have lost is our ability to be self-reliant individuals. I mean, when Americans have, yeah. Matthew, when Matthew came through, uh, my late husband and I, we had the generators running. We had our TV up. We had the electricity going, even though we did limit it so that we could conserve you know, power because you could only put so much gas in and run it for so many hours. Mm-hmm. But we were able to feed our neighborhood. Went door to door, knocking on neighbors' doors because I saw no did lights really? on. And I had a pocket full of candles. People did not even yeah. have a candle for light. We had no right. longer self-sufficient. If we lose all these luxuries around us today, how many people would survive without an electric stove or a refrigerator or running water? Some of the basic Can you imagine like that? that in, in, the urban, in the urban areas where you've got that mm-hmm. massive concentration of population, the power grid goes down. Mm-hmm. You can't restock mm-hmm. the shelves. And, and again, there's, there's all kinds of books written about that. Um, uh, the Going Home, Coming Home series by A. American. Uh, he's written a whole series on, on stuff like that. And I think, Curtis, you had one like that, didn't you? Oh, most certainly. Yeah. yeah. And um, now, now it's scary. Now throwing to that transportation. We never see it. What's the that? failure yeah. of transportation. If the power grid goes down, the failure of transportation. We've already seen what's happening to our rail situation. Nebraska, they had four derailments. Oh, four derailments recently within just a couple of weeks. Uh, you have the one over in East Palestine in Ohio that there's still major mm-hmm. cleanup. They have no idea what has been unleashed, and the people living there for decades will have the ramifications of that. But if that electric line goes out on the railroads, there goes your transportation. Uh, The electric lights on your highways, there goes transportation. People will not, and oh, my goodness, you've got an electric vehicle. I guess you're not going anywhere very soon. So, so much can happen by just taking out our power grid. I visited with a fellow the other day at a brand new Ford F-150 Lightning. I don't know if it's a 150 anymore. But it was the lightning, and uh, I mean, it was a pretty truck now. And I said, what's your range on it? He goes, oh, I get about 325 to 50 miles. And I said, that's pretty good. I said, what if you tow something? He goes, oh, it cuts it in less than half. I said, well, how long does it take to charge up? He goes, you get 23 miles uh, per hour of charging. So for Ooh. every hour, you add 23 miles. And I'm like, I don't believe I'm ready. I, I don't believe that truck's ready for me yet. <laughs> Uh, and it was between, I think, eighty and a hundred thousand dollars. So, yeah. And now, what is his, his electric bill going to be now? Just imagine, because the cost of electricity has been skyrocketing. So it, they're actually saying to charge up an electric car, it costs more than to gas up a vehicle. Oh, it does. It does. And the maintenance on it, you know, I forget they have very few moving parts. It's like maybe sixty or whatever it is compared to. A, internal combustion engine that has thousands 
Um, but the maintenance on the road or on the tires, um, your power grid, the battery, um, it costs more per mile to drive them than it does um, an internal combustion engine. No, and now they have electric airplanes. <laughs> just, they you do. Know, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. yeah they, they just recently came out with an electric airplane. Uh, that's going to be fun. And how far are you going to be flying the more weight you put in that airplane? Well, that's just it. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah, future on this one. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, we just need to focus on solutions. Who are the people that are going to carry these solutions in? And if they make a statement, they're going to do that. And I ran saying we're we're going to get the budget under control, and I failed miserably. And I left office voluntarily. It's like, you know, somebody needs to be smarter than me knows how to do this. And, um, you know, we need to focus on those things. How do we make this a better country? We're all invested in this country. And um, the direction we're going is not going to be good for anybody's future, especially our kids and grandkids. And, um, you know, it's time to make a stand, America. It's time to stand up. You either believe in God, country, and family, or you don't. And uh, my opinion is, if you don't, feel free to leave. <laughs> and we got to do something about the school system, too. We have got to oh, do terrible. something about our yeah. colleges and universities. I mean, UF and Gainesville, that's one example. I mean, I tell I you what, that whole system's changed. Yeah. Well, I know the governor's we, trying to do something about it, but I'm not sure if he's going to be successful. Yeah. Well, but um, you know they're putting that wokeism so in school. Broken. They yeah. are. They need to focus on the yep. basics: reading, writing, arithmetic. Start and promoting trade schools. That's it. Not, and when I when I was in Congress, we'd be at these town hall meetings, and people would complain that. You know, they're yelling at me that government's got to do something about the cost of tuition and it should be free. And I says, I disagree with you. I said, my opinion is not everybody needs to go to college. And, man, some of the people get so angry at me. And I'm like, listen, you don't go to college to find out who you want to be. I mean, you know, to find out yourself. I mean, part of that is true. But you go to college, you get an education. Nobody forced you to sign an application. Nobody asked you to borrow money. You went there for a purpose. And if you can have fun at the same time, that's great. But you should go out when you graduate high school, go out and work for a year. You know, just experience life without school. Learn some things. And then, you know, focus. I think we need to focus on the trades as much as everything else. And, you know, we don't need people with PhDs in pottery or ceramics. Um, you know, and yeah. I, know, I know that probably offended one or two of your people listening to you. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't need a Ph.D. in ceramics, I don't think, unless you're in uh, designs of new clays for industrial stuff or stuff like that. And, uh, you know, teach people with skills that they can go out and be productive and, um, you know, live the American dream. And I don't want to pay you know, for um, <laughs> Well, if you have free college tuition, what you have then is nothing more than right. a perpetual uh, student. And I've known right. several people uh, that did nothing but go to school, so go to college. And they had BS uh, degrees, whether it's in basket weaving or uh, literature yeah. or, uh, uh, I don't know, Greek-Roman art. I don't But nothing that was actually useful in getting a job 
unless you're a curator for some obscure museum, which I doubt even they would be willing to hire you because you probably couldn't even add one plus one yet. Um, but you make a perpetual student and a class of society that does nothing but live off of the taxpayer, you and I. Right. Because what happens if they don't have a job? Oh, they qualify for Section 8 housing. They don't have a job, they, they qualify for Medicaid, for food stamps. And you can go on down the line, and they are then perpetual leech off of, of the American taxpayer. And that's all you well, do. Well, again, make that goes back to section. Ayn Rand, uh, Atlas Shrugs. There's the, 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 um, the givers and the takers, and they, they become the takers. They want more out of society than they're willing to put in, and, or the producers. That's producers and takers. And um, they're not producing. And you've got to have a balance. I mean, you should have way more producers than takers, but we're at about a 50-50 in this country is what the reports I read say. And uh, James Madison and the Founding Fathers, when you said that when you have over 50% of the people getting a handout from the government, you'll cease to be a free society. And we're seeing it. I mean, we're we're seeing it right in front of us. We're down to our last three minutes, Ted. So I want to down to our last three minutes. It has flown. Okay. I want to thank you for joining us. And we're going to have you back. You know, often you just pick up the phone and say, Ann, I'm coming on today. (laughs) We'll get you back. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to fill in for Curtis a few times. Uh, I hope I didn't lower your I appreciate it, too. (laughs) I really appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Well, you all take care, and I appreciate the opportunity. All All right. right. Thank you very much. Ted Yoho, former congressman from the great state of Florida. God bless, Ted. All right. Well, we have people already booked for next week. We've got Stella Morbito, the author of Weaponization of Loneliness. Now, this is an interesting book and really brings out everything that happened to us during the pandemic, explains a lot. Mark Tapscott will be joining us from um, the Epic Times. And Dr. Robert Dean uh, will also be joining us. And um, Heritage Foundation has a new program that they want to talk about on Friday. leading into the next presidential election and hopefully and we we're planning on it, it will be a republican president <laughs> that we will be electing but uh, we have all that going and until then i want to thank everyone for joining us and we'll see you next week how's that sound? same time same yep. that time and hopefully yep. with the new format <laughs> up and running we're going to try it we're going to try it Uh, But we're still working on it. So I leave you with Gary Pecorella and Save America. So good night and God bless.
Right